I was playing the podcast in the car the other day when I was driving home from school, and my stepdaughter, who's eight, just thought the whole bathroom discussion was hilarious, and the Walmart <laughs> bathrooms, and she was just howling. Yeah. That's good. Well, she didn't think it was gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least we make the, the kids laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the children. Think of the children. And then it's hard because affordable headphones, head over. There's a lot of head in that. <laughs> there's like subliminal messages in there. <laughs> and this is not me. I know it sounds like something I would do. The part where it says we see 33% your entire order. Yeah, <laughs> I had it off there. there. Yeah. But that's how it was. I just copied and pasted it. <laughs> that's your punishment for listening. They charge you 33% more. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a joke. It's actually 33% more. <laughs> yeah. Suckers. The bat tax. Yeah. <laughs> oh, someone's got to pay for Wayne Manor. All right. Now let's see how uh, long it takes for me to get the intro right. How long? Much I'll go for that. <laughs> At least that you'll you'll get the uh, show number right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but now he just jinxed me. <laughs> Are you gonna call it Bat Fans Without Pants or just Bat Fans? <laughs> nah, I gotta say Without Pants. <laughs> <laughs> or else I'll be kicked off. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Bat Fans Without Pass. Ah, see? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's too good to be true. All right, take two. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast, episode number 40. Yes, that's right. We're 40 years old to this episode. We're getting older and older each show, and uh, I can't believe we're at that age. <laughs> Out of yes. our 30s into middle age now. It's hard to believe. Just a few months ago, we're at episode, what, number three, number five? <laughs> now we're on <laughs> number 40. Where does the time go? But anyway, <laughs> my name's Tim. I'm your host for this episode. Unfortunately, Dane can't join us, so you're going to have to put up with me as your host. But joining me is Terrence and Rob. How's it going, guys? Going great. And wherever Dane is, know that Oakland is losing three to nothing to Detroit right now. So enjoy, <laughs> Dane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's why he's not here. He wanted to get a good view of the Tigers. Tonight, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to kind of calm Dane down today when they first scored those three runs in the first inning. Like, it's okay, be calm. It's only the first inning. Get <laughs> away from your head. It's not over. <laughs> it's the first <laughs> game one. <laughs> I don't know about you, Terrence. I'm watching the postseason, but it's just not the same feeling a bit left out now that the Yankees aren't in it. Yeah, but uh, it's like a double-edged sword because the Yankee playoffs 
takes so much time that I don't really have right now, so I'm kind of like a little relieved because <laughs> I, I feel like I have to watch it when it's on. So yeah. there's a little bit of a relief of like, you know, I, I don't actually have to watch the Rays tonight play the Red Sox. So. Plus the games usually are always when the Yankees play anyway. It's always late, like later start times. And I don't know, on the East Coast, probably isn't until like, what, 12 or midnight or 12 or 1 o'clock sometimes in the morning. Yeah, yeah, they're always like the 8.35 start. And especially if they play the Red Sox, forget about yeah. it. <laughs> one and a half hours, yeah. So, yeah, I guess for the next few weeks or how long Dane and Rob's teams are in the postseason, they'll be battling out with each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying not to jinx nothing. <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing, and I'll uh, catch the highlights on ESPN, and I'll be fine. <laughs> Just hopefully by the time the series, the postseason is over, you and Dane won't hate each other. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't, like I said before, I think Detroit usually does pretty good. And as they start getting to the point where they start wrapping it up, that's where they start unraveling. So I hope that they're through all of that, that they can just keep going full steam ahead. But I don't know. We'll see. It should be it should be good regardless. And hopefully they don't have a long layoff this time. That's what killed them in 06 and last year. They had like a week off before they got to the oh, World Series. Horrible, horrible. It's like I couldn't turn it on at all. Like, uh, we're still in rest mode or something. <laughs> yeah, that's some serious jet lag. <laughs> hey, Tim, you've been friends with Dane the longest and, and known him longer. When did he become an Oakland A's fan? Because I always thought he was a Mets fan, and he was always talking Mets, 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 and then all of a sudden Oakland was in first place and he was an A's fan. <laughs> It was actually earlier in the season when the Mets were going nowhere. He just got so fed up with the Mets and that their organization, their front office, and how bad <laughs> they run oh, things. Okay. And he just loves how Billy Bean operates and the whole that whole front office. And so that's what made him choose Oakland. Ah, okay. So, Mystery solved. I remember the day it was like the Oakland and the Angels were playing a 19 inning game, and then that was all texting me. If you were, if they win this game, I'll officially become an Oakland A's fan. <laughs> and they had a walk-off home run. Like, that's what cemented his fandom for Oakland. I picked a good year for that. Yeah. But I had I told- a question for Dane, but maybe you guys could answer it. I was thinking about this. I was watching Comic Book Man the other day, and uh, since we talk about Plastic Man all the time, but I guess it would work for Elongated Man or Mr. Fantastic or any of those stretchy guys. But what would happen if Plastic Man took Viagra? Is that like his kryptonite? Like, would that ruin him? Or <laughs> There you go. There's the next big uh, Plastic Man story arc for the New 52. That's what's going yeah. back <laughs> to the forefront. And you could hide that in his drink or something, and then he, you know, would, would become... No, I don't even want to come up with names for him <laughs> after the <laughs> 18 and over books, but, uh, yeah. It'll be a Vertigo book. Yeah. I was thinking about Vertigo that. book. I, Comic Book Man Season 2 now is on, I think, Netflix. I was watching it, and they some guys lost a bet, and they had to dress up as Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman and yeah, do yeah. a fake marriage thing. And I was, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I wonder what would happen, yeah. Speaking of comic book men, uh, did you guys catch, or if you hear the uh, Kevin Smith podcast, that Snyder and Capullo are going to be on yeah. uh, the, the season of comic book men? Yeah, that's going to be cool. cool. I wonder how big of a part they're going to have in the episode. If it's going to be like a quick pop into the comic book store, if it's, they're going to be in the whole episode. Well, hopefully they'll pop. Yeah. As much as we want them to be on the whole episode, it'll probably be the last, you know, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Edit it all out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought it was for Stan Lee when he was on that one episode. It was like the last five minutes or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> back to Batman, even though we never actually started with Batman. <laughs> so yeah. Back to Batman. But uh, Rob, two weeks ago, you had the chance to go to, it was a Wizard Ohio Comic Convention, right? Yeah, Wizard World. Um, Terrence might remember Wizard Magazine. Remember that back in the oh, day? Yeah. I remember. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
My yeah, favorite part was... of it as a kid was seeing their casting calls when I was at the time an X-Men movie was like beyond impossible and you would never consider that to be a reality. And they have these different casting calls for those type of movies. And that was like always my favorite section to see who would actually be cast in these movies. But now it seems funny to go back and look at those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, that's about, yeah, call it two hours uh, away from, you know, where I am. Um, so it really wasn't anything major that we had to drive, you know, you know, exorbitant amount of miles or anything like that. And being a Buckeyes fan, you know, I, sp- I felt like I spent half my, you know, fall season at the uh, stadium anyway. So I knew right where the arena district was and all that. So uh, we left. Uh, it was a three-day event, and it was kind of – we were kind of celebrating our anniversary. Our anniversary was the week before, but we usually – try and pick something every year to do and I had been saying oh here's a comic book convention and I kept thinking there's no way she's going to you know want to go for it but we started looking at it and got a you know a hotel room that was adjoining to the convention center and uh, we just kind of made a three day weekend of it and uh, she wasn't able to get off of work so we didn't on Friday so she got off a little bit early so we left on Friday around four o'clock and about a two hour drive we were getting there just as the convention was wrapping up, I think, I would say a better part of two hours, probably, um, by the time you, we get checked in and get over to the convention center. So um, I had taken, like, a stack of comic books or whatever that I thought, well, maybe I'll get a chance to get somebody to sign something. And uh, my sole purpose for wanting to go was to really kind of hopefully meet Pat Gleason and get him to draw or, you know, sign something and have had no experience, you know, to what to expect at a convention, you know, like, uh, am I going to get charged for it? You know, she's like, how much is this going to cost? I'm like, I have no idea. But you could kind of tell that, you know, William Shatner was there and it was like 120 bucks, I think, for like a VIP. You get a picture, photo op, and, you know, he'll sign, I think, up to three things, I think. But for a lot of the artists in the artist row, I just had their, you know, they're going to be at booth 1A34, whatever it is. And it's... They don't have, like, any set time. So uh, the publicist for, like, let's say, Pat Gleason, you may go over there, and he says, oh, you know, he's on break right now. He'll be back. You know, he's eating lunch. He'll be back in, you know, two hours. So you would just kind of look at your watch and go back. So when we got hey, there. For, hey, Rob, yes. can I just interrupt for a second? For William Shatner, did you get in his autograph? or No. Uh, we didn't do any of the autographs just because of uh, – the price for the three days in the hotel room, um, that was kind of like the thing. So there was a lot of the Walking Dead cast members and all that type of stuff, so I opted of like, there was a few things I wanted to buy, and I could have gotten his autograph, but I thought, man, if I blow the whole hundred and whatever it was, I won't have, you know, any money for anything else. So I opted not to do any of the, you know, paid um, celebrities. But if it was a Star Wars character like Mark, or actor like Mark Hamill, you would have paid for it, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the closest uh, Star Wars character there, uh, Billy D. Williams was supposed to be there, and uh, due to health reasons, uh, he canceled. And uh, it usually makes all those conventions. It's yeah. Kind of rare when he has to knock out. And uh, he went to uh, still in the Wizard World convention. He went to the Chicago convention, which I think is this weekend. Or maybe it was last weekend. So he was, he just basically skipped our convention and went to uh, the next one. Um, and um, I'm now blanking on his name Darth Maul, Snake Eyes. Ray Park. Um, yes. Oh, that's cool. Uh, he was there. Did so you get I, to see him at all? Or? Yeah, I got, I w- they, all of them had like Q&As that you could go to. So you could go and ask questions. So I asked, 
you know, a question of his, or to him, and my question to him was, you know, did you, A, was that your voice in the film, and B, um, it, did you wish you had more speaking parts? And he was like, yeah, I would have loved to have spoken. And so that was kind of cool, and I'm always trying to be, like, really calm. I always felt like I sat back down after I answered the question. I'm like, did I just sound like an idiot? I felt like, I was like, uh, excuse me, sir, um, awesome, you, Star Wars, me, and never mind, I'll, I'll just sit down. <laughs> yeah, that, that so you're not the only one who feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was pretty cool. But we had gotten there on Friday and uh, I was making such a beeline to get, you know, our, because we got there so late, uh, there was no lines for anything. So to get like our wristbands for the three days was, was pretty easy. The lady says, oh, you just follow, you know, this, they had four lines, A, B, and C. She's like, you just follow the A line over to the booth over there and get your wristband. So I'm just making a mad dash, leaving my wife in the dust behind me. And she's like, Rob, Rob, slow down. So I slow down. I'm like, ah, come on. She's like, what's the hurry? And then she's like frantically slapping me on the arm going, Rob, Rob, Rob. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what's the big hairy deal? You know? And she's like, it's, it's that guy. It's that guy. Well, (laughs) Merle from the walking dead, uh, turns his head. I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Michael Rooker is walking right beside us. uh, Totally oblivious to me. And I'm making a beeline (laughs) for the, uh, uh, ticket booth and, uh, my wife and Michael Rooker have a moment where he realizes that she is trying to get my attention and I'm completely oblivious. The guy beside me in line goes, uh, dude, Michael Rooker is talking to your wife. <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? So uh, another example of Rob not paying attention to his surroundings because I'm on a mission and my wife's over there just talking to Michael Rooker. Hey, how you doing? You know, all she knows him is The Walking Dead. I'm like, you're going to make a complete fool of yourself. But it was pretty cool. So who knows of all the celebrities? You could have been right there, but you passed by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, as we were walking on the convention for that last, you know, little bit, uh, uh, Patrick Gleason is sitting there kind of putting up, putting away stuff, just kind of like looking at his watch, kind of killing time. And I'm, there's nobody around. And I have nothing for him to sign. My wife looks at her watch. She goes, it takes almost exactly 10 minutes to get back to the hotel. If you run fast, you should be able to get back here. So (laughs) I ran back to the hotel, got my comic book. So uh, that day that uh, I was talking to you guys, uh, that I got the little voiceover was the day I uh, (laughs) got his autograph. And I'm almost half completely out of breath. I'm like, hi, uh, Patrick Gleason. Awesome. (laughs) So it was it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I cool remember guy. on the last episode because that was your first day there. Yeah, we recorded the previous episode and we were all joking if you would run into him again. Did you happen to run into him again? Oh, I got the- yeah. Uh, that basically ran into him. I guess went around the table and okay. I had my you know Robin like baseball hat on. He looked up at me and nodded. You know, cool hat. You know, so I was like, thank you, sir, and you know, kind of went on. But it was so, pretty cool. So you couldn't ask him the important question if he could take out an evil pack of wolves with your <laughs> shotgun shell. <laughs> No, uh, there was that part of me that wanted to, and she's like, he, he'll think it's funny. And I will, I was like, yeah, but you see these 40-some-odd people around his table? I don't know if they, if they will think it's funny. And she's like, but you could tell everybody about the podcast. And I was like, crap, I could have. <laughs> but, I, but I chickened out. So have you, got, have you guys been to any conventions or anything like that at all? Or Actually, my first one 
this is really back in April, and it wasn't something I was planning on going, but I have a friend who's an artist. He's like a really great artist. He has some cool Star Wars uh, paintings. This big thing is uh, like Firefly and Serenity stuff. His name is Jason Palmer. He's like an old friend of ours who we haven't seen in a long time, and he was doing had his own panel at uh, the in Anaheim at the, that was a real convention or WonderCon. Was WonderCon, and so he got us some passes to go down for a day and check it out. So that was actually my first comic convention that I went to. We kind of went pretty late, like the last two hours or so, kind of like you did, and just kind of walked the floor and all that. Probably the highlight, besides uh, seeing my friend's panel and seeing him again, was that in, right in the middle of the entry was Scott Snyder and uh, Jim Lee were signing. It was just like, they had a long line. I wasn't going to go and wait online. Probably would have been after it was closed anyway, but just kind of casually standing by that area, just taking a look and walking by. Like, there's Scott Snyder, there's Jim Lee. <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, what about you, Terrence? Any conventions at all or anything? Uh, not a comic book. I- I'd love to go, but uh, I've been to a bunch of Star Trek conventions, but oh, cool. uh, not... Not the comic books, but um, my wife has, has said for my 40th birthday we should go to San Diego Comic-Con, but I don't know. That might be a little too big. <laughs> yeah, I hear those are huge. This is pretty cool. They had the 66 uh, Batmobile there. Uh, I got some pictures with that. You could uh, uh, pay, I think it was 20 bucks to actually sit in the Batmobile and get, like, a professional photo taken. But I, I didn't do that till the last day, and I was completely out of money. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> I've got 50 cents. And my wife's like, oh, my gosh, you are so poor. Because <laughs> yeah. I, you know, had budgets like, okay, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And, you know, I probably could have. And I'm like, oh, you know, you could stand up next to where they kind of had it, like, roped off. And all they had was, like, the yellow security tape. It looked like a crime scene. <laughs> my, my wife's like, oh, my gosh, did Batman and Robin die here? They got the Batmobile roped off or something? I'm like, shut up. Do you guys remember that Simpsons episode where it was when Homer and Mel Gibson do that remake of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and they're running through, like, this Hollywood museum, and there's a 66 Batmobile there, and they have, like, these two dummies of Batman and Robin, but they end up really being actors who are just sitting there in the Batmobile, and, like, when no one's there, it's the only time they're able to talk. Yeah, that was funny. Like, picturing something at a a convention, if there's actually some people who would do that, (laughs) would be paid just to sit there all day and not talk. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty cool. Got to go to Stan Lee's um, Q&A session, and uh, he had uh, this kind of like the you know rivalry between Marvel and DC, and he says, you know, he loves the DC universe, and he said of, out of all the DC characters, Batman would be the only one that could effectively fit in to the Marvel universe, A, because he's Batman, and B, well, because he's Batman, <laughs> which, which I thought was kind of yeah. funny, and um, he is, somebody had asked him, you know, well, what's the biggest difference between, you know, DC and Marvel? And he said, it's, it really comes down to science, that Marvel looks at things and scientifically, you know, that Thor flies because he can swing his hammer around, that propels him, and Superman flies, well, just because he can. So they always tried to pride themselves on having practical applications, uh, for all their heroes and villains that they can do certain things because of this rather than, well, I'm just born on another planet, so I can do that. So I, like kinda, what, uh, I like what Dan DiDio said, the difference between DC and Marvel was, he said that, uh, you know, DC characters go out looking for trouble, you know, Marvel characters just try to live their lives and trouble finds them, you know, Superman goes out there, but Spider-Man, it just happens to him, you know, he just happened to get bit by a spider, and, and you know. I've always said that, too, that the Marvel characters always seem like there was some type of accident that happened to them or that they were they were born this way or that way, that the um, DC characters were 
I guess some, some were born that way, but there there was an event that happened to them, and it always seems like the Marvel characters were, you know, the ones that oh, I slipped in this green mud. Oh, now I can climb a wall, or you know, whatever yeah. it is, you know. Yeah, but I will disagree about the part of, about Spider Man kind of not going out there being a superhero looking for, like for crimes. He does. He goes on patrol in his own time. I'm sure it was an accident how he got his powers, but like the classic line says, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. He uses that power for good and takes on the responsibility of protecting New York. But what I thought were... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, really? Because I didn't hear that line in, in the latest Spider-Man oh, movie. <laughs> that was probably the worst part of the movie, I think. Yeah. They're all dancing around. He said responsibility and power in like different yeah. sentences. I didn't go yeah. into it. It's like, come on, just say it. It actually hurt me in my gut when they were during that scene. It's like, just say it. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost where you want to go. You're quoting it wrong. Here, let me tell you what you're what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You guys see those uh, how it should have ended videos? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one for Amazing Spider-Man where they actually had that scene and at the end. He just goes, "You mean with great power comes great responsibility, right?" Yeah. <laughs> they have the uh, Tobey Maguire character constantly crying. Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> 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 he's in such a bad shape right now in comics. He's not. He's not even alive. <laughs> yeah, but I will but I think, say that series has been pretty good. So, still waiting for him to come back. Though. Yeah, but I think overall the convention was was pretty cool. Um, I could ramble on for you know hours about it, but if you haven't been to one, I suggest you a save. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you know, kind of look ahead to see you know, there's a lot of cool and free stuff you can see or do. But if you want to get you know up close and personal. Um, with you know some of the big you know A listers or B listers you know or whoever they are there's there is a fee and some of that stuff you know we just we didn't know ahead of time um, they, some you know artists and uh, movie stars and actors we kind of did going in but it was just really cool I think I said in the last podcast is kind of be in the same room with a bunch of people and everybody gets the lingo you know you go you don't look at somebody dressed up as Chewbacca and go geez what a dork here you get a, like where'd you get your what'd you get your outfit where'd you get your costume and you know i got my picture taken alongside of a female robin and we we're walking away and i go okay i, I think i could handle a female robin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was it like a carrie kelly or a stephanie brown robin or was this kind of like her own creation like her, her own, own creation it was more of like the uh, a tim drake uh one year later the red and black okay. she had like the Red and black leotard, but where the black like trunks would be, it was like a corset type thing. But she had the two toned cape and everything like that. So I mean, she the costume looked fantastic, and and then for her, every one amazing costume, there were like three people that were using like duct tape and you know wire and <laughs> shin guards. And my wife's like, "Who is that supposed to be?" And I'm like, I, "You know what? I have no idea, but but, t- but take a picture." Duct <laughs> <Deficate> man. <laughs> the coolest one was uh, somebody dressed up like Alan from the uh, Hangover. Had uh, <laughs> Carlos and the whole. He had the exact same shirt, and uh, was, I got my picture taken with him. I said, "Your outfit's great." And he's like, oh, "You wouldn't believe it." He's like, "I just got photobombed by Norman Reedus." Said he was getting his photo taken somewhere else, and saw this guy walking around and rushed over and got in the guy that's dressed up like Alan's photo. And it went on to the Wizard World website. This is Norman Reedus photo bombs Alan's uh, picture at Wizard World, which is kind of funny. So, Did he have yeah, a real baby? Uh, it was just uh, a baby uh, baby doll. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the kid would not shut up. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Scored some uh, back issues that I've been longing to uh, complete. Uh, some of the one-year-later uh, Detective Comics issues, and I've been trying to complete uh, Cataclysm and the Return to No Man's, or uh, Road to No Man's Land and Aftershock. So I, I was able to get all of those but one. Uh, see, so. that's, like, good and bad, because you got a lot, but then there's just one more, you're all so close. <laughs> get yeah, it? and my wife's like, there's always going to be one more book, isn't there? And the guy beside me looking through Ben's, he's like, yeah, there's always going to be one more book. <laughs> Where you go, okay, I completed that one, now I need this storyline. <laughs> So, yeah, the convention was really good. I had a blast, and um, I thought it would be, would be something she would probably go, okay, well, we did that once. And on Saturday, she, she went over to the ticket counter. She's like, how far in advance can you book for the next year? And they cool. said, well, you know, we don't, we don't know until, you know, midway through the next year when it gets to be, you know, con season. I was really kind of surprised. I thought, well, she probably might not want to do this. She's like, I'm having a blast. And we went through and sat through, like, William Shatner's and – um, Ernie Hudson, um, trying to remember the people's, you know, Q&A sessions we sat through, and that was her favorite part, was just getting to uh, see those people. And the person that she really wanted to see was Henry Winkler, and uh, he backed out a couple weeks before. Uh, how can the Fox so, do that? I know. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> He's supposed to be the coolest guy around. That's right. <laughs> he had to be cool somewhere else. That's what I kept telling <laughs> So yeah, that's that's my con report. Is probably as jarred as that was, but I I had a blast. So uh, maybe I'll put up the uh, video on the uh, Facebook page for anybody who would like to uh, check it out of the pictures and things that I uh, picked up at the convention. And it, it sounds like we'll be back next year. You know what? I was thinking out of all these years and these conventions that were going on, you think one of these years they would have just a Batman convention? Cause I think there's definitely enough material that they could sustain its own convention, kind of like oh, how yeah. they have the Star Wars oh. celebration. Easily. Yeah. Easily. I mean, half of, I think it'd be fair to say half of the cosplayers that I saw were some Batman character. And the other parts, you know, there's a lot of Star Wars stuff, but we constantly saw Jokers and Riddlers. And um, uh, there were like five Banes there. Um, yeah, every, every time you turned a corner, there was a Batman. And everybody had a, a Batman I would say something or there was like whole tables dedicated to nothing but Batman. So it, there wasn't a, a table. Even somebody that was doing their own artwork had a Batman book or a Batman something on their table to hand out. So I still think that shows you how prevalent, you know, Batman still is. And they were playing uh, a lot of the animated series music oh, there, just, just over the PA. Like, I go, oh, that was on Leather Wings, or, you know, that's, uh, I recognize Robin's Reckoning music, so somebody must have had, like, the big animated series score there. That's cool. Yeah, I think a whole convention just a Batman would be really cool. I mean, I think that's going to be, like, where they want to have any big announcements, just save it for a convention like that. Or even just DC in general, or Marvel in general, like, they don't have their own conventions, because... It seems like instead of just having it all bunched together at San Diego every year, they just might want to do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Kiss fan, and I've been to plenty of just Kiss conventions. If a single ba rock band can have a convention that will have thousands of people come, I can just imagine what a, just a plain Batman convention would bring. Yeah, I mean, 2015 they should do it. Have the big premiere of Batman versus Superman there. <laughs> Get yeah. Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck there as the main attraction. But then it'll be competing with Star Wars Celebration 7, so you don't want that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that's actually going to be my first Star Wars convention, and I can't wait. <laughs> oh, cool. The best part is it's only like 
15 minutes away from where I live, so like, oh man, I can't <laughs> not, not go to this. <laughs> You've got to invite at least one celebrity back to your house. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You guys need a place to stay? Free of charge, no hotel fee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free long distance. <laughs> yeah. I'll even drive you to the convention early. Just don't bring up the Green Lantern series being canceled in front of my brother. <laughs> <That's so laughs> <sorry. laughs> well, there, has, there are a few Clone Wars voice actors, and one of the producers for Green Lantern, the animated series, was a director on Clone Wars, so they do have some ties. <laughs> oh, cool. So it could come up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny. You're like, you invite them over, they're talking in your living room, your brother overhears it, you think, there's a new show! Oh, it's just the guys who did the voices. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, though, how on Twitter the people are still trying to get it to say that in Young Justice. Even the Clone Wars, you still see these tweets like, save these shows, don't give up on them. It's like, as much as you don't want to, it's, like, it's not going to happen. They're gone. It's like the hard yeah. reality that they just can't yeah. accept. But yeah. you admire their determination, they will not quit. I'm a little scared, but where the bat might not make Same it very here. long, too. Yeah. And I've enjoyed it, but I don't think it's getting the ratings. Yeah. I know. It's a shame, too, because, like, certain interviews you read with some of the producers are, like, saying this might be it for, like, these type of shows, these action comic book shows. So, like, hopefully it lasts, but if this doesn't work, this might be it for a while, which, like you said, it's kind of scary. Well, they can use the same argument. I have yet to see one Beware the Batman Mattel action figure anywhere. Um, a couple of the YouTubers that I watch have picked them up but they've got them through Amazon or Big Bad Toy Store, um, Entertainment Earth or wherever. But then there's only one Batman figure, so I could hear him go, well, the merchandise isn't selling well because there is none. And that was the thing that they kept saying about Young Justice, the merchandise wasn't selling. Yeah, at, least, at least with Young Justice, there was merchandise there, but for this show, there's none other than McDonald's does yeah. have Happy Meal toys. Yeah, and you can't use the same uh, reasoning they did for Green Lantern was that the movie did so bad that stores didn't want to order more toys for another Green Lantern uh, property. So yeah. that's why they didn't make any. But with Batman, I mean, he's always popular. I mean, to have no toys for that is kind of inexcusable, really. So I'd hate yeah. for that to be the excuse again where that the merchandise didn't sell when there was none. But anyway, <laughs> but I yeah. think there's going to be no problem on the live-action front <laughs> with the news we just got a few weeks ago. With that being the new Gotham TV show, which is going to focus on Jim Gordon as a young, I think it's described as a detective. So he's not going to be the commissioner or even lieutenant. It's going to be early in his uh, police career. So I was curious to hear your guys' first initial reaction when you heard the news. For me personally, I was excited when I first heard about it. I was like, this is the type of show DC should be focusing on, where they're not using one of their main characters like Flash, where he should have his own movie, but instead he's getting his own TV show. But with this, they're using Batman's supporting characters who probably wouldn't get his own movie, but would make for a great TV show. So I think this is what they should be doing, using the supporting characters to anchor their television series. So I'm really anxious to see how it's going to be. I'm pretty excited for it. What about you guys? Anyone else feel free to jump in? Oh, <laughs> I can't believe the only excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, know, you know how we feel. Next topic. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Terrence. Okay. Yeah, you know, I've got mixed emotions about it. I'm, I think it's kind of cool. Um, I don't really have much interest in Jim Gordon uh, without Batman, beyond maybe a story or two, so to do a whole season or hopefully multiple seasons. Um, and I hope, I hope it's not just a cop show with, and calling the guy Jim Gordon to try to get Batman fans to watch it. 
Because I, one of my knocks on Smallville, even though I did kind of like it, it seemed at times they almost put Superman down or they ridiculed it or they, they scoffed at the notion of like wearing, you know, a cape and, and Superman, the idea of Superman became ridiculous at some points in the um, show. So I hope it doesn't turn into that. Um, but it would be cool to, you know, have a teenage Bruce Wayne maybe in there and you figure some of the characters who are older in Batman's world, like, you know, the, you know, Oswald Cobblepot and, might um, play a role, and it just it's sometimes cool just hearing the names. Like even you know, even if they don't do much in it, like on, on the Arrow show, it's cool when they say like, "Oh, Death Shots in Bloodhaven." I don't know why that just gets my you know yeah. geek. <laughs> I just yeah. geek out on that, even though they don't even anything. I, so just ha- hearing little things like that, or if they talk about you know Tony Zuko or you know um, the Flying Graysons coming to town or something like that, uh, that'll uh, really make me happy. Um, and so. Uh, the guys who did it, I haven't seen um, all their stuff, but I watched Rome, and Rome was pretty good. So I have some confidence that they can can do a good show. And uh, I just hope they take their inspiration from year one, because I think that's the best Jim Gordon story I've ever... I mean, you know, that is a Jim Gordon story. Frank Miller even says it's Jim Gordon. And uh, that's, I think, my favorite Jim Gordon story. So hopefully that, that'll be their inspiration. I was initially excited until I heard kind of like what they were doing, and then... I told my wife, we already have that show. It's on CBS, and it's called Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck. That looks like he could play Commissioner Gordon. I, what I think would be cool would be to to have a Batman presence that maybe you don't see it, that you get the aftermath of Commissioner Gordon coming down um, from being on top of the GCPD, just having met Batman, and they're working on, you know, whatever case it is, and saying, well, you know, our our you know, partner is taking care of this. We're going to go do, you know, this type of thing that I think could leave it up more. You may not have to see Batman, but to know that Batman's there or them have to, you know, kind of work with, you know, the aftermath of whatever Batman has done. Um, to me, it, it almost kind of like with you, Terrence, the whole, you know, Smallville thing, the Smallville started to bug me when you started seeing Aquaman and Green Arrow and, you know, all these other heroes, and, like, really, Clark Kent is still going to be 16 years old, 18 years old, and he's still not going to have a cape, he's still not going to be Superman, so I don't know how long you could just have a cop drama that just isn't going to become like every other cop drama, but that's just going to be Jim Gordon, and maybe, you know, Montoya, and you'll have Bullock, and maybe some of these other people, which which will be nice, but it's not really connecting anything that's kind of currently going on in the comics, because you would think you'd want to link everything together like oh i've been reading about jim gordon i want to see what he's doing in the comics but it's not the jim gordon that's on tv is not the jim gordon that's in the comics so like if it's handled well i guess we'll just have to wait and see you know some people are saying is he going to have a mustache or is he growing a mustache or you know (laughs) so i've got mixed emotions about it i would rather have dc quit kind of skirting the line if you're going to do a show about you know the Gotham Police Department, it better be, you know, Commissioner Gordon, Bullock, and Montoya, and, you know, we can acknowledge that Batman's there. Maybe you don't have to see him, but, you know, still get the bat signal in the sky, you know, all those type of things. I think a show like that would work a little better rather than having, you know, Cadet Jim Gordon running around. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of mixed about it. It principle, it sounds good, but I'm just afraid that it, it might not turn out as well as it sounds. Yeah, I'll have to kind of disagree with you on the front of 
having to be where he is, Commissioner Gordon, and knowing that Batman is the president? Because if they're already having a mandate out there saying that we don't want Batman in the show, then have it early on before he is Batman, so that way you're not saying to yourself, we know Batman's in this universe, why can't they just show him, or why can't he just be in this episode, where is he? So I think it's going to work best for the series if they're doing it early in his police career. And then also like the fact, too, where they didn't say what kind of villains, but they just said it will feature villains that made Gotham City what it is today. And obviously I don't think it's going to be like the Joker or one of the, like Mr. Freeze or that early, those type of villains so early on. Because you want to save those villains for when Batman's actually there. But I think having something like you mentioned, Oswald Cobblepot, kind of maybe as a up-and-coming uh, crime boss, maybe not a crime boss yet, but just kind of like maybe a henchman or something working his way up. But one thing that I think could be really cool in this series, because you know how every TV series has kind of has like this secret uh, background villain who's like in the background, but you don't really get the reveal till at the end of the season, but that story arcs, that threads throughout the whole season. They could do something like that with the Court of Owls, who's been a part of Gotham way before even Batman. So they just have that legacy of uh, being always there in Gotham City. I think having something like that as a story that throughout the season could be really cool. I mean, just the idea of seeing some characters with the owl mask in live action, I think, could be really cool. And I don't know, I think that's a pretty good possibility that we might see something like that, because it's something that's pretty popular right now in the comics. And that could be something that the writers or the showrunners would want to use. But the other big question I have, too, going with it, how far early is this going to be? Is it going to be when Bruce Wayne is out of Gotham training? Is this going to be where he's a young boy and maybe the first premiere episode is the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne and that's Gordon's first case? And maybe we get a little scene like we get in Batman Begins where he's, there's a young Bruce Wayne and Gordon's comforting him. So that's the question that they haven't revealed yet. When exactly is this going to take place? I think it would probably be best if it's I'm kind of torn on that because I think it would be cool to start it off with the Wayne's the Wayne murder or Gordon's kind of investigating that, but then it could be cool too where it's not too far off to when Batman does come back to Gotham, and as the series progresses, that could be like the big end end game for the series where the final episode is where Jim Gordon and Batman meet for the first time, and that'd be like the big finish to the story, which I think could be pretty cool. So we'll see where they go, but I think there's definitely some pretty cool possibilities for this show. Oh, one thing while you were talking, something that'd be kind of cool. I'm looking at my DC chess collection. I'm looking at Mr. Freeze over here, which you guys can't see, but that'd be kind of cool to see somebody like Mr. Freeze being a good guy with his, you you know, wife, Nora. He's the scientist, maybe. See, now, now I'm starting to get on board just (laughs) hearing you talk about it. It's just, you know, one of those things that trying to imagine what it's going to be like. It's like once things start getting, you know, maybe cemented a little bit more, you can kind of see it. But that that might be kind of cool to see different takes on people before they become good, bad, maybe, you know, Roman Sionis or something like that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the Court of Owls, but that's pretty awesome. I thought you were going to say the Red Hood. Um, but I, I hope um, Thomas Wayne is, is a character, at least for the first season and then uh but having jim gordon investigate the murder would be cool i always liked it better when it was um kind of alluded that the wayne's murder was actually a murder and um they left bruce alive so that he would be a witness so he could say it was just a a robbery but it was really a murder um and um 
if they have Mr. Freeze, I hope he's married to Nora and not just stalking her in the, and she's just some delusional girlfriend. I hope too they don't go too overboard with like seeing early versions of the, of the villains because like I said, you want to save some of them for Batman because the idea that Batman caused the escalation of these super villains and like psychopaths and crime for Gotham is something that I think works really well too. So. I hope they don't go too overboard of cramming as many Batman villains as they can before Batman actually shows up. But characters like Harvey Dent would also be pretty cool, too. Like, he could even be a recurring or a main cast member. Yeah. Another interesting thing, too, about the show is that it's not going to be on the CW. It's actually on Fox, and they already purchased, like, a whole season's worth, not just a pilot. So either way, good or bad, we're getting the full season of it right off the bat. So that's actually pretty interesting, too. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that that went to Fox that – I don't know if it's a, a bidding war. You would have thought with it being a property that they would have said this is going to be on the w- or CW. Yeah, because it seems like it was where they placed the highest bid. And I don't know. I always thought that any TV show with DC property is going to the CW. But that actually might be a pretty good change for you don't have to be like late teenagers, early 20s and have all that <laughs> typical CW drama that goes with it and all these love triangles that happen. <laughs> so yeah. having like an older Gotham could give it more... I guess a different tone than what we're used to from shows like Arrow and Smallville. As much as I like those shows, but having something different could be pretty cool, too. Yeah. You know Fox will promote it during the football games, so that'll be good. Yeah. It's, yeah. Sounds like it's going to be as early as next year, too, next fall season. Which, in the grand scheme of things, that's that's not that far away. Yeah. You know, because it's going to be in the fall. They're going to have to start getting things out in the spring. or as er- We may be seeing stuff as early as February or March. Yeah, at least casting details, at least. Right. And that's another thing that kind of got me wondering, too. Is this going to connect to anything as far as other series or movies, even? Because when it first got announced, it was like, oh, is this going to tie into Arrow or the upcoming Flash series? But since it's on another network, that's probably not likely. But then I got thinking, oh, is this actually going to be in the same universe as the Man of Steel sequel and the Ben Affleck's Batman? Because if it's taking place way before Batman's even existed... This could be actually tie into that without any issues. I mean, you can just cast an older Jim Gordon if he's ever going to show up in any future movies. So that's one part that I could see happening. But DC hasn't shown yet that they're doing any uh, connective stories in their universe yet. So maybe they're still shy on doing that. But that's something that could work if they they want this to be the first test of that. I, I was wondering if this means that Jim Gordon will not be in the Batman Superman movie because they. I know they like to keep, they, they like to not have multiple versions of live action or cartoon, and, and when they wouldn't even let the Batman use Two-Face or, you know, it just yeah. seems odd that they'd have two Commissioner Gordons out there, but, um, hey, you never know. Yeah, and like I said, it potentially could not even be an issue depending how far early on this series takes place if Bruce is the young boy and... In the upcoming Man of Steel sequel, he's supposed to be in his 40s, so they can easily cast someone else as Jim Gordon, who's 40, 40 years older than he is in that series. So if they decide to do that, I think it's potentially an easy thing to do, but I just still think DC's scared of having all these connected things <laughs> into one cohesive universe. I, I think that would be smart on their part. <clears throat> they could, if they don't go, going back to Flash and Arrow, they could potentially, if they do it right, have a Flash TV series, an Arrow TV series, do the Justice League movie, you pull Arrow and Flash from their TV series right into their 
movie universe. Now you've connected the TV shows and the movies together. So after the movie's over, Arrow and Flash go back to their TV series and can now talk about what they just did in the Justice League movie. Yeah, but you see, that sounds too cool for them to do. They will never do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, me that, to me, that would just make complete a complete sense. Have you guys checked out uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series yet? No. Uh, it's been DVR'd, and I think I've heard more about it than I've watched it. My wife's like, oh, let's check it out. You like the Marvel movies. I'm like, it just it doesn't look good. She's like, what do you mean it doesn't look good? I said, it, it looks like it was shot on a shoestring budget. Just the first ten minutes <laughs> that we watched of it, it's it almost seems a little too cheesy to be for me to take it seriously. Like, you could go into the Avengers and Iron Man and Thor and all that and completely take it serious as it's happening, but this just seems... Uh, it's does, the production value doesn't look good, so I haven't made yeah. it through the whole first episode yet. Yeah, I've watched the first two, and overall, I'm enjoying it so far, but I think there are problems, like you said, with it. I mean, so far, besides Agent Coulson, who's been all most of the Marvel movies, he's the best character so far, and really the only one you can get into. This, the other characters so far haven't grabbed me yet as far as, like, I don't know if they can sustain a whole series with this group of characters besides Agent Coulson. And like you said, Rob, it, there is a little bit too much cheese in there for me when you compare it to the other Marvel movies. I know those movies are kind of light in tone anyway, but to me this seems like they could just tone it down just a bit, take itself just a little more seriously. Yeah. But it does definitely has the potential to be pretty cool. I mean, it, I love hearing the references to the different Marvel characters in the movies and just seeing the different effects of what happened in the Avengers on a more smaller scale. So the stories are pretty cool, but I don't know, it just hasn't found, I guess, its footing just quite yet. I mean, it's only two episodes in, but, right. I mean, we'll see where it goes, but it, the potential's definitely there. I'm enjoying it. But at least kudos to, I mean, Marvel is connecting yeah. their universe. So to say DC's afraid of it, at least Marvel is taking a stab at it, so... I mean, even if, like I said, I don't fully get into these characters, I'm going to be watching it for the most part anyway, because you know when the next Avengers movies come out, there's going to be some story threads laid out during that season that if you watch the show, you may pick up on certain things in the movie that you wouldn't have otherwise. I love stuff like that, so just in that, how they're connected has got me as a viewer for a while anyway. But yeah, so we'll see if DC does that with the Gordon show, but I think it's... Definitely has the potential to be something pretty cool. And, like, they've had pretty good success besides Birds of Prey with their uh, superhero TV show. So they take it seriously. I think it could be good. And they're coming out with a Constantine, a Constantine That's right, yeah. show, too. So hopefully That's that right. might tie into the Justice League dark. And I still have to say, even though besides Flash, they haven't used too many of their main characters, it still bugs me every time I hear a TV show announcement and not movie announcements which is kind of what we're waiting for. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't think it's DC's fault. I mean, I think DC wants the oh, yeah, They just, you know, it's so expensive where to make a pilot for a TV show is a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all Warner Brothers. It's too scared. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so puzzling because you, just because of one movie failed in Green Lantern, but yet they see all these Marvel movies being successful, they don't go, okay, let's try again. No, they just... Hide away in the corner and says, no, we'll make TV shows instead. Yeah, we'll just stick with Superman and Batman. Exactly. <laughs> I know we've gone on tangents a lot of <laughs> bad shows about that, so... <laughs> yeah. No need to go into it further here. But going from TV to video game news, uh, Arkham Origins is just a few weeks away now. <laughs> it's kind of hard to believe, really, kind of when I'm in October. It's like, man, it's only a few more weeks and Arkham Origins is going to be here. And so we're getting more information as far as uh, like DLC stuff and... There was a pretty cool trailer that I just became aware of from you guys. 
I, like I said in the email, it was a shame to say it, and I haven't kept up with Arkham Morgan as much as I wanted to, and I originally missed this trailer that featured the Nightfall Azrael Batman in the 60s TV show costume in action. And at least for the Azbat suits, it was pretty cool to see. The 60s one, I don't know, it looked kind of out of place, but <laughs> it, it definitely looks pretty cool seeing those suits, or the Nightfall Azrael Batman walking around in that yeah. city, the engine they're using for the city of Gotham and Arkham Origins. I mean, I have to say, I think that might be the coolest that suit ever looked. It looked pretty darn awesome. Yeah. Uh, the scene I love is, uh, you know, as as Bat is walking around the corner, he's pushing on his, you know, sleeve to uh, detonate, uh, you know, whatever explosion was. You just see the whole explosion, and the screen kind of fades out. You just see the red slits in his eyes, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, Um and that's, uh, so far, that's the biggest uh, DLC that's uh, being released. That's you know, five separate maps, uh, three combat maps, and then two Predator missions. And all those uh, challenges will have a connecting story that I believe the end result is as that's going up against Bane, which I think will be really, really cool. Yeah, that should be awesome just to see, except... I still don't like how Bane looks in this game. <laughs> still yeah. Like Which, uh, maybe for the DLC, maybe there'll be maybe some alternate skin that you can change it so he looks like in this comic book version. I hope so, but they usually don't do that with the villains, unfortunately. At least in yeah. the last two Arkham games. But uh, what do you guys think of the 66 uh, costume scene or, uh, roam around in a really dark and gritty Gotham City? <laughs> I liked it. I, it. It was just, it was so weird. But yeah, the other day, just a couple of days ago, I, I turned on my PlayStation to watch, uh, Netflix, and they have this one screen where they have, like, all advertisements and stuff, and I saw that picture of Asbats, and I was like, what is this? And I clicked it, and the trailer came up, and I'm like, this is just the most amazing thing I've seen, and, um, I know the, the DC direct-to-video, uh, animation is kind of traditional animation, but after seeing that, I so want, uh, um, this kind of style, computer animated Nightfall movie, because that costume never looked better. Even that headlight in his chest looked cool, which I'm not really <laughs> sure why he ever had that. He, he had his own bat signal around here. Um, and the 66 costume I thought looked really good too. I was just, I was geeking out. I watched that thing like, I don't know, 15 times in a row. And then I felt so out of the loop. I was like, wow, this has probably been out forever. And I, I'm just catching on now. And I'm like, I can't believe the guys didn't talk about this on the podcast. So uh, don't feel bad, Tim, because I was, I was like, completely out of it, uh, as is, as you guys were. You know what kind of gets me upset about that mostly is that just video games in general, I just haven't kept up as much as I used to, which bugs the heck out of me because it's like, oh, that's a sign of old age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like as much as I want to keep into it, I just, haven't as I haven't been able to as much as I used to. I mean, I, the games that are coming out this year, the ones I'm most excited for, like the HD remakes of games I played ten years ago. <laughs> Besides Arkham Origins, those are the only games I'm really excited for. But it's like, I hope I'm not getting old and getting out of this because I love video games. <laughs> I I'm the same way. I have guys that I work with. You picking up the new Grand Theft Auto? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, not really. Like, oh, it's it's amazing. Or you know, the the Last of Us. I think is supposed to be really yep. pretty good. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's like, well, what are you playing? You know, I'm like, I'm waiting for the new Batman game. And they're like, oh, yeah, that should be pretty cool, too. So, I don't know. Like you said, maybe it's just getting older. I'm just finding myself doing more things. But, you know, I'm still 
play you know, my PlayStation and you know go through all the games, but uh, just not as hardcore as I used to. I guess the expendable cash is more readily available when yeah. you're younger. <laughs> That's a good point too. I mean, like the game I've been playing a lot lately is a HD remake of the old NES Ducktales game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got so excited when I got it. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be one of my favorite games of the year. <laughs> I've just been playing that a lot, and it now, definitely lived up to it. You guys were talking about being out of the loop. Have you seen the latest reveal from Arkham Origins? No. Oh, yeah, Barbara Gordon, right? Barbara Gordon, yeah. She makes her appearance in there, which at this stage in the game, um, I'm kind of like, quit showing us stuff. Uh, the New York Comic Con is coming up, and they just put on their uh, Facebook page, we have a huge reveal coming at the convention. I'm thinking, no, stop. You know, we're... <laughs> We're less than 25 days away from the release of the game. I, I think you've shown plenty of content. To me, that, that Nightfall trailer was, that should have been the, the last thing that we saw from the game and everything after that should be, you know, October 25th. And I, I got to look at the podcast schedule and I'm like, please don't have a podcast recording on that day. And we do not. Because <laughs> I probably would have been like Dane, like, uh, you know what? I'm playing the game and I'll try and comment on whatever I can. So it's nice to know that is a, an off week for us. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if a week's going to be long enough for me to beat it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the only unfortunate part. Uh, the other thing that was just released, I forgot about this, was the season pass uh, that there is a Bruce Wayne uh, challenge mode where you get to play as Bruce Wayne and do some type of training type of a challenge mode, which I think is will be kind of cool. Other than the very first uh, few minutes of Arkham City, it's one of the really only times you can ever really be just Bruce Wayne without being Batman. So... That might be kind of interesting to see what the Bruce Wayne mechanics might be like, which I'm sure it'll be just like Batman just reskinned as Bruce Wayne, but I always th- think that would be pretty cool in a game or something like that is to be able to play as Bruce Wayne or Dick Grayson or whoever it might be. Yeah, that beginning to Arkham City was pretty darn cool, too. <laughs> I remember geeking out. I was like, oh, man, I lost him was playing just as Bruce Wayne, but at the same time controlling him just as Batman. <laughs> Well, like you were saying, Terrence, the the animation is so good that I'm like, yeah, I, I like getting the animated, you know, cartoon movies. But you know, make a make an animated film that that looks that good, um, and that's that's borderline something that you could go to the theater and watch. Yeah, and, and even enjoy. Paul Dini's even mentioned that, like when he first saw of, of how Arkham Asylum was going to like, man, how cool would a movie be like this if it looked like that so like yeah there's definitely uh, several people who want to see a full blown movie in that uh, CG animation style because especially the cutscenes the CG cutscenes like the first trailer was uh, Batman fighting Deathstroke I mean that was awesome imagine a whole movie like that yeah yeah. I'm still hoping that at some point that we will get a a nightfall be it animated movie or something that, that looks like this I would like to see that kind of come to life in an animated form of some type. Right. How cool would this be? Even a Nightfall game, I mean, there's enough content there to sustain uh, sustain a whole full-length game, too. That'd be pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can go all the way up to Night's End or release a trilogy of games like that, the Nightfall trilogy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, now I want that game to come out. <laughs> 
maybe that having the as bats costume is kind of a test. They're testing the waters how people will react to that. <laughs> well, to tell you how bad I'm geeking out for this game, I've pre-ordered the collector's edition. Uh, sitting behind me right now is the Best Buy cardboard standy <laughs> from the <laughs> store that says, uh, if I can read it, pre-order now, uh, Arkham Origins, October 25th, 2013. Exclusive pre-order bonus, classic Tim Drake skin online and steelbook case. <laughs> it, it was completely empty at the store. They had got all their pre-orders and I uh, asked the clerk, I was like, so what do you guys do with these? He's like, we throw them away. Yep. He's, like, he's like, do you want it? Uh, yeah. My wife's like, Seriously? <laughs> this, this thing's about four foot tall. She's like, where is this going? I was like, just don't worry about it. We've got a recliner we can get rid of. <laughs> That's cool that you got it, though, because I used to work at a Toys R Us in a GameStop, and whenever we had like either Star Wars standees or Batman standees, um, I was, me and my brother, we both worked at Toys R Us. We were the ones who always got those. Even customers would ask, like, uh, sorry. <laughs> Take it home for myself. So you're fortunate that your Best Buy had no workers who were into Batman. Yeah. The only thing that's missing from it, somebody must have taken the, you know, Batman logo, because I can see there's four little slits. I'm like, I wonder what that would have been. And, like, it looks like the shape of a bat. I'm like, somebody stole that. <laughs> that was probably an employee. Yeah, it probably was. That's the only thing they wanted. When I started working at Toys R Us, like, my first uh, week there was three weeks before Episode One came out in theaters. Oh, wow. But actually, my first day on a job was when the, they were having the midnight release of the toys, and they had all those standees there, and we took a bunch of those home, like, a mo- month or two later when they were getting rid of them. So I have tons of Episode 1, like, standees of different characters. <laughs> okay, I got to ask. I can remember going into Toys R Us. I, I remember standing in line to get the Star Wars action figure. I still have, you know, totes of them. But going into Toys R Us, at least in the Toys R Us where I was at, there was a giant Millennium Falcon hanging yep. from the roof of Toys R Us. And I'm like, I want that. It looked like <laughs> it was in a proper proportion. I remember seeing comic book men that, you know, a guy was selling it. Did you guys have one of those? And if so, do you have it? <laughs> we, our store sure did have it, but there were several Star Wars fans that worked there. So uh, the supervisor there, he was a big Star Wars fan. So he got the Millennium Falcon, but then the... Uh, me and my brother, we got the Naboo fighter that was hanging on the stands too. That was pretty pretty cool to oh, get. Cool. But unfortunately, oh, yeah. it kind of busted. <laughs> like part of the wings off, and like my younger brother keeps telling me, "When are we gonna get rid of that thing? It's busted." I'm like, "It's Star Wars. It never gets thrown out, even if it's busted." <laughs> I just remember being amazed, looking up at the ceiling, going, "That thing is enormous." Yeah, that was pretty cool first day to have. That was like my first job I ever had in them starting. I mean, I wasn't involved with the Star Wars stuff. I was mainly being trained and like putting uh, returned items back on the shelves, but I'd always pass by the section that was being set up for that <laughs> night release. I'm seeing all the cool toys going on there. Like, oh, man. <laughs> so I got, off my, I got off my ship, but then I went back at midnight to get the toys for myself. <laughs> That's good and bad because it, like, it's a great experience, but it sets you up for disappointment for the rest of your life because you're like... Work is awesome. It's yeah. Star Wars toys and free stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, but we're fortunate though. Like I said, my brother got worked there first, and then I did. So he worked that late night shift for the episode one toys. So he got a bunch put aside. That's when like Darth Maul was the rarest figure. But since he was able to put some aside, I wasn't worried about getting that figure. Nice. 
Uh, hopefully they'll do that again for episode seven, but I don't think I'll be working on a Toys R Us for that. <laughs> Get that rare Justin Bieber figure. <laughs> uh, still saying that. I'm worried that it, you're, it's going to be true because you keep saying it. <laughs> yeah. Well, did anybody freak out seeing the Justin Bieber uh, photo that was going around oh, yeah. holding up the uh, Superman-Batman script? I have to say I was more shocked that people were believing that and getting all upset about it because you knew it was fake. Yeah. I was more surprised that people took it seriously. The one I thought was funny was Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. Picture and editing yeah. himself. And I thought that was pretty funny. It was like, he looks the same age as he did when he did Batman forever. <laughs> yeah. He was middle-aged then. He's still middle-aged. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be shocked if Robin even gets mentioned in the movie. Yeah. But I was yeah. hearing rumors too that they might, that Wonder Woman might actually be in it in some capacity. Oh, that'd be cool. It was, it'd be cool, but I hope it's not a main part. Maybe just have her as Diana Prince in Metropolis or Gotham or whatever. She's introduced, but she's not going to be Wonder Woman in the movie. Because then you definitely have to call it like Trinity or the Batman Superman Wonder Woman movie. She's actually going to be Wonder Woman. Right. Or maybe like, you know. End credit reveal or right before the main credits where she's got to walk on that leaves you like, oh, we know what the third movie's going to be type deal. Yeah. <laughs> hey, whose magic lasso is this here? <laughs> <laughs> like the Joker card at the end of Batman Begins. <laughs> the Superman's are like, man, I'm getting pushed further and further out of my own franchise. For yeah. And now it's Wonder Woman's going to be in the third one. <laughs> but I think that's about it for the news for the last two weeks. I mean, of course, the biggest one being the Jim Gordon TV show. But other than that, that was pretty much it. So that takes us into our conversation with Alex. So Terrence, take it away with Alex's latest email. All right. So Alex sends, um, thanks for another great episode. You guys keep coming up with some fantastic topic. It was really interesting hearing your favorite Batman memories. Reading Batman Nightfall for the first time has to be mine. Although I watched a lot of Batman on TV and in the films, it was the first time I really understood the complexity of his character. It was my first story arc I ever read of Batman, and first complete comic story I had ever read. Previously, all I read were a few random issues of various characters and the first act of the Death of Superman storyline. It's what got me really interested in comics. Seeing Batman against seemingly impossible odds, yet never wavering in his determination, intrigued me. Combining that with Bane's origin of a character who dealt with a similar situation, but from birth, really inspired me. Anytime I faced hardship, I thought of Nightfall. This is really off topic, but have you guys checked out Breaking Bad? It just ended last week. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly recommend it. Not only do I think it's the greatest drama of all time, but I believe Brian Craston's Walter White is the greatest performance of a character in all media. So I have not seen Breaking Bad, but I've heard good things, and hopefully one day I'll do a, a series marathon and watch some of it. But how about you guys? Any Breaking Bad? Um, first yeah. off, that's awesome to hear what Alex said about Nightfall. <laughs> I mean, as you guys know, that being my first comic book series, too, I'm glad someone else had the same great experience with it, too. So that's cool, Alex. We share the same first Batman comic book collecting story, which is Nightfall. But for Breaking Bad, yeah, I can't say I've watched it either. I mean, everywhere you look, it's Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad on Twitter and all these different websites. So it's kind of making me want to check it out just to see how good it is because I don't keep hearing how awesome it is. But unfortunately, I haven't checked it out. So right now, Brian Crescent is still his best role as a... Hal, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle for me. So, <laughs> uh, 
I too sadly have not watched either. I have coworkers that talk about it and I keep, you know, shushing them like I don't want to hear like you're not even watching it. I'm like, you know, now not that I waited till it was over, but it's kind of like, okay, it's it's over now. I can kind of see the end of the road, so it won't seem like such a chore like, oh, that's 23 seasons now or you know something crazy. But uh yeah, I hear good things about it all the time, so it makes me want to but right now, uh, the best drama for me is uh, Walking Dead, hands down. So I, I have people tell me, if you like The Walking Dead, as far as you know, drama and storytelling, that I'll like uh, Breaking Bad. So I'm with you, Terrence. As soon as I can find a, a time or once everything's caught up to Netflix or whatever, hopefully I can do a marathon and check out the whole series. Yeah, and uh, as a follow-up, I sent Alex uh, an email and asked him how he read Nightfall, whether he was reading it coming out. And not, and he said he had, had read it kind of a mix of trade paperback and 50 cent bins, which hurt me so bad because I remember Nightfall coming out and I was buying three, four, five copies <laughs> thinking I'm going to be rich someday. And now when I see those in the dollar bins, it's just like, what was I thinking? Um, but my favorite thing about Nightfall was the covers. I just loved all those covers, the Sam Keith covers. The, uh, and, um, so I asked him what his favorite cover was and he liked Batman 489, which was kind of a pre-Nightfall cover. Um, but, um, the, um, and then uh, I asked him if he listened to the audio drama, which he said he did, and he said he he really liked the uh, novel adaptation of Nightfall by Denny O'Neill, which I had not read. Have you guys read the, the, uh, novel adaptation of the Nightfall? I have it, but I have not read it. No, I mean, these are, I actually haven't read any novelizations of any comic book stories, which is something I kind of want to do just to see how differently it is, but no, I haven't. Yeah, I've always wanted to read Greg Rutka's, um, what does he did? He did No Man's Land, I think. Yeah, I heard that. Awesome. Yeah. I, I have the audio ad- adaptation, and if the audio is anything like the book, the audio is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. I hear it's better than the actual comic books, too. Oh, really? Yeah. All right, now i got to get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then Alex has got another kind of off-topic question, but it's it's on topic for this show. It says, also, as Star Wars fans, what is it about the universe that you love so much? To be honest, the only Star Wars movie I really liked was The Return of the Jedi. I know that's a travesty to a lot of fans, but I love that last fight between Luke and Darth Vader and find it one of the best embodiments of good versus evil in film. And, I mean, we could spend forever on why we like Star Wars, and um, (laughs) Tim has another podcast where he spends on Star Wars, but... Real quickly for me, I mean, Star Wars came out when I was, you know, um, a, a kid, so it was just, it, it's sort of that early childhood, everyone was into it, and for me, Star Wars was always about the toys, because you didn't see the movies that often, you know, we didn't have VCRs yet, and we didn't have it on tape, it came out on TV every now and again, but you you have to watch it when it was on, and even then it would come on late at night sometimes, and you'd have to go to bed, so for me, it was always about having the toys and playing with the toys and that creativity and the imagination of all the, the toys. Because even now when I see the movie from, like, you know, Empire Strikes Back and I'll see some guy, I'm like, I had that guy. I had that vehicle. I had that. You know, and it and it's it's like a personal thing. Um, I really like to, uh, especially in, in um, Return of the Jedi, how, you know, Luke and Darth Vader, it's it's... It's a different kind of fight because neither one is trying to kill each other. They, they're trying to bring each other to their side. So Luke yeah. wants to save his father and bring him to the good side, and Darth Vader wants to bring Luke 
to the dark side and rule the universe together. And that's something you don't really see. Um, so many American movies, especially, it's just, you know, good guy, bad guy trying to kill each other. Um, and so I, I really like that dynamic with Luke and Darth Vader um, and, and that trying to kind of win the other over to his side. And, I, I, um, you know, it just kind of brings back a lot of good childhood memories for me. Um, but how about you guys? In, in, a, in a nutshell, what do, you, what do you love about Star Wars so much? I'm kind of like, Terrence, I think you and I are probably right around the same age. Just that whole that whole sense of being able to look up at the stars and go, I wonder what world is out there. You could just kind of get lost in the whole entire universe, and I you wouldn't have to think, oh, I want to be Luke Skywalker, I want to be Han Solo, okay, I want to be a stormtrooper. You know, but stormtroopers have always been my favorite uh, character. Uh, people always kind of laugh, and it's like I just liked that. Just seeing, you know, the scene that always just kind of seeing it in the special editions, they really amped it up, but in a New Hope when, you know, Han goes chasing after, you know, the single stormtrooper and he turns the corner and there's like, you know, six. And then in the special editions, there's like 400. <laughs> but I just, I always thought they were so menacing as they were going through Tatooine, you know, looking for the droids. I thought, oh man, I'd crap my pants if a stormtrooper came to my door. So I always thought that was really cool. And then Darth Vader was another level. But for me, it was the same way. It was the, the toys and, just being able to kind of go up into my bedroom and just kind of get lost into that world. I just soaked all of that in. I wanted to recreate all those scenes with all my action figures. I did the same thing, Terrence. I was like, I got that guy. My mom wouldn't let me get that guy. Millennium Falcon was too expensive. <laughs> you know, yeah. this was too expensive. I had the uh, Death Star playset with the working trash compactor. And, you know, it was like always trying to recreate all those scenes. And I was cutting things out of cardboard and making my own ships and stuff. So just that whole wonderment that, you know, the story of a you know boy growing up and becoming something greater and uh, talking what, or to add on to what you were saying about the fight of Luke and Darth, you know, by the time the prequels hit, I kind of looked at that fight in a little different light, kind of the same thing that they were, you know, wanting to, you, you come to my side, I'll, you know, I'm going to take you to my side that I almost got it from Vader that if I can get Luke over here, we can get rid of the Emperor together. Mm -hmm. um, I just bet, again, just using those first three films, it was just a, just a, a way to get lost for a, a little boy in Mount Blanchard, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, real quick before Tim goes, the thing with the toys, too, is they were expensive. So you had to kind of plan out. Like, I had an X-Wing so, you know, my friends wouldn't buy an X-Wing because they know I had one. But they'd, so they'd get the Millennium Falcon or they'd get, you know, a speeder or something. And, uh, when you got together with like three or four friends and put all your toys together, it was like a cool thing. And even now, when I watch it, you know, with my wife, I'll be like, oh, I had that one. But I'll be like, oh, Nicholas had that. Oh, my brother had that guy. You know, like you were, you not only do I remember what I had, I remember what my friends had too. <laughs> that's, that's funny you said that. My, one of my first friends that I ever met across the street, that is how we bought our Star Wars stuff. Yeah. It was like, I, I bought a lot of the Sith stuff before I really knew what Sith were. You know, I had Darth Vader's <laughs> yeah. TIE Fighter, and, you know, he had the X-Wing, and I had, you know, Mom's like, why are you buying all these Stormtroopers? Because I'm going to have the army, and I'm going to take down Ryan and his Jedi, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... Which I think that's why my Stormtrooper collection is up to over 200 now. <laughs> oh, I wish I had that many Stormtroopers as a kid. 
Yeah, but for me, I mean, you know, I could talk about Star Wars for hours, so I'll try to keep this in a nutshell. But just the basic stuff, I mean, the stories and characters of those movies are just, to me, the greatest thing in fiction ever created. I mean, Anthony Daniels said it best. It's a simple story, but it's a simple story that's magically told because a lot of it's typical stuff you find in like, old stories and like fairy tales and stuff like that of the hero coming of age, the pirate assisting him, the rescuing of the princess. But it's just so magically told in that first movie. And then each movie just added more to that story that just made it so great. I mean, the throwing in the whole family dynamic of Darth Vader being Luke's father just took that story to a whole nother level. And then the resolution at the end with Jedi. And then to me with the prequel, it just added more to that story, finding out why Anakin became Darth Vader and just the struggles he had to go to. I mean, I know the prequels added to the trackers. And going back to what Alex said, how... He thinks uh, Jedi is a travesty for some fans. I think no Star Wars movie is a travesty, despite what some people might say about Jedi or the prequels. To me, they're all Star Wars movies, and they just add so much to the overall story that, to me, it won't be the same without any of those movies. I just love what George Lucas did with how Anakin became Darth Vader. I mean, he wanted power for good to save Padme, his, his one true love we couldn't live without. And the fact that he went to the dark side to try and save her life, but he ends up killing her anyway... That just to me is like a great, one of those great tragedies that you find in all these old stories where he tried to do good, but he was the cause of the thing he was trying to avoid. And that's what ultimately killed his humanity and became full on Sith as Darth Vader. But yet there was still good in him that only his son would be able to bring out. And then the Clone Wars too just adds more to the story. Just, uh, when you see it, when you see the movies, it just makes you harken back to those things that you never thought of before in certain Clone Wars stories and just adds so much to it. So. The thing I just love about Star Wars is the story and its characters. I don't think you'll find a greater franchise with so many great characters and cool-looking costumes and ships, too. I mean, Star Wars is a whole package for me. Just everything about it's awesome, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Everything about it is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think, Even um, Jar Jar plays a pivotal role in the story, too. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same way with you. I don't look at the prequels any different and go, oh, those are horrible. I mean... You could nitpick anything, and I, I just look at them as one huge, complete story, and uh, to this day, if I go to watch, I start with episode one, and I work myself forward, and it's just going to be exciting to know that the story gets to continue, and we're going forward this time. Yep. So, it's just more, I want to say an onion, it's just... <laughs> I, it, it's so dense that, you know, I'm sure there's going to be that pivotal moment where we're going to go, what? Yeah. I can remember being in the theater for Empire Strikes Back and looking at my dad and going, that, that can't be true, can it? That can't be true, can it? You know, and walking out of the theater going, well, now what? My dad's like, we're going to have to wait. I'm going, I, I don't want to wait. It's like, we're, we're going to have to wait till the next one. <laughs> That's yeah. one thing I regret of someone who just grew up loving Star Wars and not having that first memory of seeing the movies is that I never had that big shock of Darth Vader revealing himself as Luke's father. It was just kind of something I always known. I never had that big surprise. So I always wondered, what did that feel like uh, <laughs> to those I can, who, had it, who experienced it for the first time? I can remember being on the playground and just my friends and I, we would talk about it for hours it seemed like you're trying to figure out well how that can be wrong oh he's just messing with him to get him upset and a friend of mine going he cut off his hand he's still like a turn him into another darth vader too you know <laughs> <laughs> so was that it for alex females terrence 
Yep, that was it. Alex just ends it with thanks. So, Alex, thank you again for another great email. And uh, anybody else, please email us. Our email account is batfans27 at gmail.com. It's B-A-T-F-A-N-S 27, as in Detective Comics number 27, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, definitely. All right, and that takes us to our next section, which, Terrence, do you have more trivia questions for us? I've got two of them for you tonight. All you right. guys impressed me. You did good. I, I was You got the whole Nightwing question right. Um, I'm, and, I'm still uh, bugged me about not getting the... Uh, Cluemaster question. <laughs> I know, and you, you threw Rob under the bus. You blamed it all on him for that one. But, um, all right, so my first question for you guys tonight is, what decade did Scarecrow make his first appearance in the comics? Was it the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, or the 70s? Tim, I'll throw it to you. See, I'm 50-50 on this one, but I'm going to go with the 40s. And Rob, what do you say? I'm going to go a little older. I'm going to say the 60s. All right. Tim, you've got it. He made his first appearance in World's Finest Comics, number three, which came out in fall of 1941. I was surprised by that. I thought he was a much more contemporary character. So, um, And then my second question for you guys is about the Batman creator or co-creator, if you want to be more specific, uh, Bob Kane. Yes, co-creator. Um, yes, uh, <laughs> Bob Kane uh, was originally scheduled to have a cameo in the 1989 uh, Batman film, uh, but due to scheduling conflicts, he was unable to make it and therefore did not appear in the movie. But which role was Bob Kane going to play in the uh, Batman 89 movie as a cameo? Was he going to be a newspaper cartoonist, a Gotham police officer, the mayor of Gotham, or Thomas Wayne, the, the father of Batman? Which one... Was Bob Kane supposed to be in? I think I'm pretty sure I know this one, but I'm going to go with A, the newspaper cartoonist. Okay, and Rob, I what do you think? I know this one, too. I think it's the cartoonist. You guys are correct. And as a matter of fact, if you watch the movie, the scene he's supposed to be in, uh, Alexander Knox is handed a picture of a, a Batman, and it's drawn by Bob Kane, and it's got his little Bob Kane signature. Yeah, right. Yes, and that the character, they still called him Bob, the, the cartoonist, I believe. Um, and I remember seeing that in the theater and jumping out of my seat. Go, that's Bob Kane, Bob Kane. You know, uh, and everyone just kind of like said, shut up, who's that? <laughs> yeah, so, but, yeah good a, job, guys. They shot a, a little Easter egg, like a newspaper on the stand that says a story by uh, Bill Finger or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him something to do. Uh, something that always bothered hearing that he had scheduling conflicts. I'm like, how do you have scheduling conflicts <laughs> in the character, quotation fingers I'm doing, you can't see, of a character that you created that they are asking you to be in a film of a character you created and you have scheduling conflicts? Yeah. I don't want to be bigger than his first uh, live-action feature film. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're such a publicity guy like yeah. he was, yeah. Yeah. There's got to be more to that story, yeah. At least his wife got to be in Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she also got to be in Batman Forever. That's right, she was in that, too. I just yeah. remember how more annoying she was in Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. We did 100% this time. So, well, at least I got 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess I'll take us into our comic book reviews section. All right, so for our comic reviews for this episode, we're covering the weeks of September 25th and October 2nd. So for September 25th, we got Detective Convicts Man Bat. Batman the Dark Knight, The Joker's Daughter, which I can't wait to hear your guys' review for it to see how bad it is. <laughs> Batman and Killer Croc, or Batman and Robin slash Killer Croc, Batman, Bane, 
and then Justice League Secret Society. So, Terrence, we'll go ahead and have you start off with Detective Comics Man Bat. But before you get into it, you should say our review scale for this episode is going to be Best Buy Merchandise. See, I already forgot it. But <laughs> it's going to be Best Buy Merchandise Standees that Rob has taken home. So, sound to that effect. <laughs> <laughs> we'll butcher it every time. Yeah, so as we do all our rating scales, we'll say it a different way, but... And also, too, our review section is going to be full of spoilers. So if you haven't read the comics yet, you might want to hold off, read them, and then come back to this section. So without further ado, Terrence, go ahead and take it away with Detective Comics Man Bat. Yeah, I enjoyed this issue. Um, I have not been a huge fan of the uh, Man Bat backup stories in Detective Comics, which have been um, written by, I think, Fabok and, and penciled by uh, Andy Clark, I believe. But this was written by Frank Terry and penciled by Scott Eaton. And his pencils look a lot like Andy Clark's. And I don't know if he did that deliberately um, with the, sh- the shading, a lot of parallel lines, or if he- that's just his style, so they used him. But this was, um, I actually enjoyed this. It was a really quick read. The panels were pretty large, and there wasn't a lot of dialogue, but it, it flowed really well. Um, and basically, it kind of involves, you know, Man Bat, um, what's his name here? I, I can't remember him. Thanks, you, Mr. Langstrom here, um, is looking for his wife, uh, Francine, who she has got a uh, man or bat woman um, or woman bat, I guess, uh, serum. And uh, she looks really cool as, as the woman bat. And uh, he finally finds her. She's um, going to a playground to feast on kids. And he has um, taken his man bat serum, which is now a combination of her serum and his serum, um, to become a, like an even supercharged man bat, and he takes her down, and the police are, arrest her, and um, he keeps just experimenting, you know, again and again and again, just day after day, increasing the man bat formula and just getting bigger and tougher and huger. Uh, and it looks really cool. The art's really good on it. Um, and then with the heroes gone, he kind of steps up and sees himself as a hero and is attacking criminals, and he is just destroying the criminals. I mean, he's just slicing them up and cutting heads off and severed limbs. And so, um, and he just keeps advancing the formula more and more. And finally, Gordon and the police try to take him down. And he's like, hey, I'm a hero. And they're like, Gordon's like, really? Tell that to him. And there's this like dead guy, you know, in front of him. Um, And so then it it just kind of ends with um, Langstrom um, just getting kind of losing it, getting out of control, throwing cop cars around, and it kind of ends with him coming back to the playground and grabbing some kid to go feast on them, just like his wife. So, kind of, uh, and it says, next is Man, Bat, Hero, or Menace? Check it out in issues of Detective Comics. So, I guess he's going to kind of walk that line a little bit between hero and villain. Um, so, I, I liked it. So, I would give this, um, I would give it 3.75. Not quite a 4, but a little more than 3.5. So 3.75 Best Buy standees that Rob has taken home and braved horrible weather to make sure that they were undamaged. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually surprised when you first said you enjoyed it because those backup issues that have been going on so far in Detective, like, uh, I usually just flip through them and don't read so much of them because I haven't been enjoying them. But I, I guess at least there was one good story with Man Bat out there, but it's kind of surprising. I remember going through the <clears throat> list of my comic book stores, seeing which books I wanted. I was like, ah, the backups have been okay, but at the time that the, you know, lists were out of, you know, trying to decide what books I wanted, I didn't know who was writing and who was drawing the books. 
So um, I've been hearing from multiple people that the Man Bat story was good. And, of course, now you can't find the book anywhere. So I'm kind of disappointed I didn't get it because it sounded like it was pretty good. Yeah, but I think the main issue we've all been waiting for in Villain Month was the Joker's daughter. (laughs) It was so highly anticipated just because of the writer, Amanda Sandy, who was you know, had a great track record with Catwoman. So, Rob, I'll let you have the honor of being the first one to review Batman the Dark Knight, Joker's Daughter. Uh, <laughs> ten out of... <laughs> ten out of 493. And Now, this, at least for me, I'm kind of curious what Terrence has to say. This is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, the Joker still, uh, still leaves a bad taste in my mouth that I was really kind of disappointed with that and I'm thinking ah, it's going to be probably more of the same if I can say this is best is the wrong word this is the best that Anna Sandy has written but that's <laughs> that's not saying a whole lot tolerable the most tolerable, yeah, toler- tolerable. Um, I, I liked what she was trying to do um, Delula I think is, is that her name in this um, yeah. I was kind of, kind of surprised, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how much we actually get to see of her without her mask on. It's basically taking place in the nethers, I believe this is what it says. It's in a flooded area of Gotham City that was basically flooded so they could build the bridge or whatever it was. And it's where all of the ugly, unwanted people live in Gotham City and people that... This was their home. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a cough here. Uh, this was their home, and they have decided that they are going to stay in this nether realm. <laughs> Bad joke. Uh, this, this nether realm region, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they made these little caves and things. So that is kind of how the Joker's face ends up getting to her um, from the end of Death of the Family, where Joker's face falls off and goes to the water, that I'm assuming it made its way through all the water in Gotham City and arrives here. And, she, yeah, she was a, a messed up kid. The family tried to love her, and she was just sick and twisted. It was into cutting herself and saying that the ugly is the new beautiful and just really wants nothing to do with what the status quo should be. If you're if you're beautiful, well, then that's ugly, and the ugly is the beautiful. And it's going through and branding people with, like, this sickle type of thing, holding it in some hot coals and putting it right across their mouth and branding this Joker-esque type of a uh, grin on all their faces. So uh, the dialogue, it, just like saying all of that, it, it doesn't sound <laughs> maybe as bad, but it was just, it, it was a rough read to try and get through. Um, as, as much as they were trying to hype this, saying this is the Joker's daughter, I really think they could have found a much better person to write this. And the, the premise behind it was good, but it was just poorly, poorly executed. Um, I, I don't think it's as bad as the Joker, but it's probably parallel to what the Joker was doing. So I think I gave the Joker a one. And at the, at the end, she basically kind of crowns herself as the, the queen of the uglies, and they're going to <laughs> rise up from the <laughs> the nethers and bring ugly up to the surface. So I believe I gave the Joker a one, and I'm going to give this 
uh, I was going to say a two, probably a one and a half. It, the premise of it, I think, would be really good, but in the hands of a better writer, I think it could have been so much better. So I'm going to give it one and a half cardboard standees that I uh, got out of Best Buy and tried to beat the rain to get it in my car. Yeah, I think you liked it a little more than I did. I, I can sum this issue up in three words, classic and Nassetti. Um <laughs> I actually had high hopes for it because I didn't know who wrote it, and I just saw the cover. Oh, and um, and there was a lot of hype about the Joker's daughter. I read the Catwoman issue, and I heard Catwoman had sold out with her in it. So I read the first page, and I'm just kind of like, what is this? And a C-3PO makes a cameo in the, the first page, if you <laughs> if you see it. His C-3PO, that's, well, that's his head, anyway. Yeah. yeah, they have, like, for some reason, she's got C-3PO's head in there, um, which I've never really explained, and they never go back to it, so I'm not really sure what was going on there. But, um, and that's the highlight of the issue, by the way, C-3PO's <laughs> severed head. Um then I turn the page, and it's like the double page of two and three, and it's got who wrote it, and I see N to say, and I'm like, oh, that's why this character's in a rubber floaty and um, put a cat in a bag and is going in some underworld thing, you know, and I was just like, oh, gosh, I, I got to read this, though. And um, I think what really disappointed me was the fact that she just found the Joker's face in the water and put it on. I, you know, I expected someone named the Joker's daughter would either be a blood relative of the Joker or was kidnapped as a kid by the Joker and raised as the Joker. Like, I, that just seems more of an interesting character than some girl who was psychotic and just happened to find his face and put it on. Um, and, you know, they, they did a lot of her backstory where she's, you know, this kid with all these problems. And uh, I think that's one of my things that I didn't really like about Villains Month um, is they try to do all these backstories for the villains. At least some of them did. And they all have these scarred childhoods or these bad things happened or they were mistreated. And so then they've become these rotten, horrible, terrible people. And I think the reason why I like Batman and I like comics is you have these people who, you know, Batman get has a murder, take you know, his parents murder in front of him. But they, they turn that tragedy into a positive. They they stay make it that those horrible things and they become stronger and, and better people for it and reading again and again people who are the opposite just kind of wears on you and it's not really what I'm into the comics for, for. And you know every now and again is a ride or one every now and again for a villain origin but issue after issue kind of wears you down a little bit so uh, and then all that stuff Rob said with the smiles and the faces and all that it was just I don't know it's just classic Anacetti where you're like what exactly am I reading? I just what what is this? You know, and um, uh, at one point I was reading it, and then I was making dinner tonight for my stepdaughter, and I left it open, and I could see she was reading it, and I was waiting for her to say something, and I, I she's twelve, and it was on the one page, and she's just kind of looking at it, and then she just kind of walked away, and I was like, I'm glad I didn't have to have that conversation <laughs> and try to explain it, but um, I'll give it one. Best Buy standy Rob has taken home, but it can't be a Batman standy. It's got to be something lame like a Barney standy or you know <laughs> Dora the Explorer standy. That uh, so I'll I'll give it a one. <laughs> yeah, I I was the same way. I I think they they were hyping it like to to say that you know Catwoman sold out because she made the appearance in it. Isn't the standy still writing Catwoman? Yeah, yeah. So I I think that's to hype 
that book and people were saying, oh, that book, you know, sold out. That's the most that has had just to see where this character was getting her first appearance in. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't ever like saying things like, I don't know how that person has a job. They should be fired. But, you know, I don't get with a character they were trying to promote like this, why they would have that type of person writing the book and saying, look, your sales are not good. You you were on Green Arrow, and you almost tanked that book. So we'll move you over to Catwoman, and you're tanking that book. <laughs> so, And that they uh, allocated this last week of Villains Month very, very heavily, and especially this book. So I don't know if it was one of those where they were realizing, you know, people are going to be wanting this, and then they may hear it's not good. So then they may decide they don't want it, and then we're going to be stuck with all these issues. I don't know if that was part of the allocation process, but uh, yeah. So uh, we can eagerly move on. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, guys. It's you all wasted over now. <laughs> you wasted way too much brain power on an Anisetti book. You just got. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm off. I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the reason you're fired in this podcast. Yeah, you're you off the podcast. You've you've uh, exceeded the Anisetti quota. So. <laughs> It's an automatic banishment. <laughs> yeah, but moving on to what's just sure to be a better comic <laughs> than The Joker's Daughter is uh, Batman and Robin, The Killer Croc Issue. And this one, I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed it. I mean, Killer Croc is not one of my favorite Batman villains, but I don't hate him either. He just He's like, it's cool when he pops up in an animated series episode or a comic story. But I actually really enjoyed this one. It took some turns that I wasn't expecting. At first, it starts off kind of with a typical story that I thought was going to be the main focus of the issue, where we're seeing his horrible upbringing, where his aunt is trying to scrub off like his scales and the, his new uh, skin that's forming on him as a kid, but he won't let her because it hurts so much, and she's like fed up with it. Like, fine, if you want to look like a freak, you look like a freak, or you just scrub it yourself, like I'm done with you. Kind of the typical bad childhood you would expect from a villain. It kind of gets me thinking, I believe it was his aunt, too, so it seems like all villains are living with their aunts at a evil aunts at a young early age living with the Joker. But the main thrust of this issue is we get this SWAT team kind of on the hunt for him in the sewers, and pretty much most of them get wiped out by Killer Croc in the early stages. And so only two of them are left. Then we get some more flashbacks with Croc early on, his, uh, like in his freak show days, which kind of shows him not to be an entirely bad guy because he really wouldn't hurt. One of the attractions was that he would wrestle an actual alligator but he wouldn't really hurt it or kill it, and then the promoter was kind of cheating him out some money because he thinks there should be more to his show, or like be a little more rough with the crocodile. But when the croc was kind of saying, like the croc, well, he doesn't, I forget exactly what he said, but he's saying like he doesn't deserve that, and he kind of has like this innocent face to him, but the promoter is like saying, I'm paying you, and this is what you want. You want the rest of the money, you'll do what I say. And then croc just bites his hand off as he's handing his money, so kind of planting the early seeds for him being evil. But then there was this one sequence that I thought was kind of weak where we see the first encounter with him and Batman, with Batman and Robin taking him out. And then one part I really didn't like was when he's subdued, Robin's kind of talking to him, giving him tips as far as, this is what you should be doing as a criminal. Why don't you be a muscle guy instead of uh, doing this on your own? Like, I don't think Robin would be talking to him that for that long and then giving him advice on how to be a better criminal. I know it's kind of coming off as being funny, but I just think it went on way too long. It just sounds out of place to me. But then as the issue goes on, we get more to learn about these cops who are chasing them, and it actually gets revealed that they're crooked cops. And we get this flashback sequence where they kill this guy who they were 
I don't know if he was an actual cop or just someone they were dealing with who was kind of threatening them to turn them in. And then we see them, we see these crooked cops shoot him and just dump his body out to the, to the water. And then, but there's this panel where we get these people in the sewers who take his body. And it's also revealed that Croc has this little army. Kind of reminded me of the Batman the Animated Series episode, The Underdwellers, where the sewer king has these little kids he would send up to the surface and have them steal for him. I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but just the fact that Croc has a small army and they were kind of dressed kind of with these green hoods and, like, shaggy clothes and stuff that made me remind me of that episode. But then when the issue turns, which kind of I did take by, caught me off by surprise, was that um, the whole reason, like, it gets revealed that these crooked cops, they find the body of the guy they killed in the sewers, but then it gets, Croc ends up killing both these crooked cops. And it turns out that we get another flashback sequence that the person these two cricket cops killed was actually somebody from Croc's past who was one of the few people who were nice to him as a kid as just as his skin is turning into what we know as Killer Croc. And so that kind of took me by surprise that, oh, this is actually showed some good in Croc where he actually has this can show kindness to someone who showed him kindness so and some remorse. So I like that aspect of the story. Then it just kind of ends with Croc giving a rallying cry for the people who live with him under the sewers. So overall, pretty solid issue. I like the story. Some weak moments in it, like that whole Robin sequence. But overall, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to go ahead and give it um, probably three and a half out of five Arkham Origin Best Buy standees that Rob gets to take home. Uh, I liked this one, too. Um, this was one that was not on my uh, pull list. And... Uh, I heard from the guy behind the counter. He's like, you didn't get Killer Croc? I'm like, no. He's like, well, we have one in the back. Do you want it? I'm like, no, it's fine. He's like, it's really good. And I was like, are you just saying that? He's like, no, it's actually really pretty good. So You'd be suspicious uh, if he said Joker's daughter was really good. Yeah, yeah. He was like, Joker's daughter is the best thing I've ever read. I'm like, well, you're a tool. Um, <laughs> so I was really glad that I did. I, I really liked it. And the line that I laughed out loud reading was when the uh, – like the circus guy was telling Croc, you know, you're going to take this money. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. And yeah, you know, right. Croc actually you know, bit his hand. Uh, the Robin bit, um, you guys hadn't probably been reading uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws. I'm trying to remember when that was, but I think, if I got that right, Killer Croc was like Roy Harper's AA sponsor or was helping Roy get out of drug rehab and that Jason told um, Roy that, you know, you, you need to seek out Killer Croc. He can help with that. So I don't know if they were trying to tip the hat to kind of what happened in Red Hood and the Outlaws. That's kind of, you know, out there and far-fetched as well. So, you know, that part did <laughs> bother me too where, you know, Croc's on the stoop and it's almost like Robin's taunting him. I would expect Batman to flip Robin upside the head and be like, back <laughs> it off, you know. Yeah. What, what are you doing? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just thought it was really good, and uh, it took me by surprise, too, where, you know, Croc had a relationship. It was, you know, with this guy that, you know, was befriending him. It was almost kind of like he was the only person that, you know, was befriending me, and I was almost kind of imagining that Croc is sitting on that stoop waiting for his friend to show up, and he doesn't show, doesn't show, and he eventually finds him in the sewer, and then to find these crooked cops are those people that actually killed his last friend. I wonder if that's the thing that kind of, you know, sets him over the edge to be a full, full-on villain. So I, I really liked it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this three and a half out of five uh, 
Arkham Origins standees that I have to beg and plead for the Best Buy co-worker that just gives me the answer, eh, go ahead, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys uh, did a great job recapping it. Uh, I just mentioned I love the cover. I think the cover looks yeah. cool. Um, don't like they got Batman tied up in the back when he's not really even in the issue. Um, all the issues, though, all every main hero is in the background somewhere, tied up or on the ground. Yeah. yeah, and the Green Lantern ones and stuff. But um, I was a little disappointed that they moved uh, Killer Croc's childhood to Gotham because I do like in the animated series how he's from Louisiana and he has that Cajun accent. I think it just kind of goes well. Um, and I remember when um, wasn't that the Batman? That kind of had that Cajun accent. Was it accent. the Batman? Yeah, Did he not have a Cajun accent uh, in, in the animated series? Uh, oh, yeah. okay. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember his voice. But I remember when they were going to film um, the um, some of uh, the Dark Knight and uh, Dark Knight Rises in Louisiana. There was a lot of speculation yeah. that maybe Killer Croc might be in it. Um, but he does look cool. Killer Croc, I think, has more origin stories than any other villain. There's been so many where he was a crocodile that mutated, and then he was a person who did all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of, you know, I don't know how long this origin will stick, but uh, it is kind of a kinder, gentler Killer Croc at times. Uh, but my favorite scene, um, there's one part where they're, um, the kids break one of the SWAT team, one, the, the woman's leg, and then uh, the guy is kind of walking with her on this like bridge over the water, and it reminded me a lot of Arkham Asylum on the Killer Croc level, where you're uh, yeah, Batman right. running yeah. around on those b- floating bridges, and, and that was one of my favorite parts of the game, so I, I really like that part of it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with you guys on this one, um, and um, I'd really like to see where they're going to take Killer Croc from here um, on out. So uh, I would give this um, I'd give this four, a low four, but four uh, Best Buy standees that Rob has taken home and his wife has looked at him and said, why did I marry this guy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost, she goes, gosh, you're going to stay 13 years old, aren't you? <laughs> One thing before we move on about Killer Croc, I was just wondering, too, how much different this origin story, and it had anything to do with what happened with Batwoman as far as J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman leaving because of their origin with Killer Croc. Yeah. I mean, it might be something we'll never find out to see how vastly different they were going to be, but yeah, I wonder if it would have been similar, but we'll never know now, <laughs> unless in a tell-all interview or book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so that takes us to the Batman, the Bane issue. So, uh, Rob, what do you think of this one? I really like this one. I think with, with all of the uh, Villain Month issues, not knowing who was writing or drawing them, and I was pleasantly surprised to see the creator, one of the creators of Bane, Graham Nolan, drew this issue, um, opening up like the, not the first page, but the uh, splash page in the middle, uh, to see his name attached to it, to see that he was a creator, I think just made me like it. It made me think of Nightfall. His mask is very Nightfall-esque and kind of, you know, updated uh, New 52-ish a little bit. Um, I, I dug this one. I was kind of uh, borderline thinking, ah, this might not be as good. But it's basically just Bane uh, 
gearing up, this is going to be the launching point for the uh, Forever Evil uh, Arkham War that uh, Bane is going to be leading the charge of. And uh, seeing Bane basically trying to put together and assemble his team, and kind of the creepy thing in this is, I think it's one of his would-be henchmen or whatever is kind of wanting to talk smack to Bane, and uh, his uh, henchman's daughter ends up coming in the room, and... (laughs) Bane is basically saying, you know, he's going to, you know, kill him, and the daughter's like, basically, yeah, go for it, you know, you're the hero. So she basically sanctions his father's death, which I thought was really kind of eerie, so I'm kind of curious to see uh, where that uh, goes on. And, you know, coming from uh, Santa Prisca, we kind of get a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a backstory uh, with Bane, and then some, you know, mentions of, you know, Nightfall, which I thought was, which is a really nice touch. And this one really kind of keeps on task, which some of the villains' uh, books don't necessarily reflect kind of what currently what's going on with Forever, Forever Evil. And this one definitely is. And you uh, are able to see that the sun is being moved and uh, that we get the actual breakout and Blackgate Prison is starting. And um, it's just a big onset and onslaught that's going to be happening. So it's a really kind of like a... Um, what I would I say? Not a prologue, but a, a yeah, like a prologue to a prequel to uh, uh, Arkham War. So uh, I know my synopsis was <laughs> not all that good. It's just basically a, a bigger setup to an overall arcing story that's coming. So I, I really enjoyed this. Had some you know cool Bane moments in it. So I'm going to give this four out of five uh, Arkham Origin standees that Bane will not look like this in the video game. <laughs> But that I was able to get from Best Buy today. What do you think, Terrence? You know, I was kind of disappointed in this issue. Um, first of all, they need to redesign Bane. I mean, his look is so 90s. And they've got such a great design from, from the movie. And I think if they made him look more like Tom Hardy, um, you know, more people might pick it up who don't read comics or aren't really reading it. But having in that 90s, Mexican wrestling mask and then he's got like a huge tank on his back like really with all the technology in the DC universe and miniaturization <laughs> he's got a scuba tank on his back it just seems it's kind of strange um, I just feel like he needs a redesign and there was, it, there was a lot of violence in this a lot of killing that just didn't really seem to have a point there was no emotional kind of arc of the killing it was just like here Bane breaks this guy kills this guy um, and um like Rob said, it, it seemed more of just like a setup issue. They're just setting up for something. Um, and so they're really, I didn't really feel like there was a, really much of a story arc in this, um, as, as it was just, like you said, just like prologue. Like in a graphic novel, uh, collected, and this is the first, you know, 16 pages of it or 22 pages of it, um, it'd be fine. But just as a standalone story, I don't, I didn't think it was that great. So, um, We'll see what happens in Arkham War and see uh, how that goes. And maybe I'll look at this a little differently as just part of the overall story. But um, I'd give it a two. I'd give it two Best Buy stands that Rob has taken home and then has looked at and treasured and kind of like the um, the apes in 2001, like kind of run up and touch <laughs> it, run back, and, high, and then music plays in the back. So. <sighs> Yeah. This is my this is my monolith. That's what this is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, 
I think I'm more in agreement with you, Terrence, about this issue. I was disappointed in it as well. But the one thing I will disagree with you on is about how Bane looked. When I first saw the cover, like, I really don't like Bane's mask and all these tubes coming out of his head on the cover. But then when I opened up and I saw his mask, like, oh, that's classic Nightfall Bane. So I was kind of glad I actually went to that look. But I will agree, the like, the scuba tank thing on the back probably could have, this is one with the whole classic Nightfall look. But I was glad to see that his mask was like that. But like you said, this couldn't really get into the story. And like you said, it was mainly just a setup for the Arkham War coming up. But what you said, Rob, in the beginning, where Bane kills that guy who ends up being that little girl's father, and she's all, yeah, go ahead. I came to watch you kill him. I thought that was the best part of the issue. It was kind of caught me off guard. saying, oh, where's it going to go with this? And it really had no payoff until at the end he throws that rose that that girl had on her head into the ocean. And, like, that girl said something to him was that, that he's our great, that you're our greatest hero, and Bane kind of just shoves her away, and that's all we see of her once he touches that flower. So I it was kind of neat in the beginning to see where it was going to go, but it ended up going nowhere. So, yeah, I don't know what they were trying to do with that, but it just seemed, didn't seem to add up to anything. And it was mainly, of course, we got flashbacks of his time in Santa Prisca in prison, YH, Batman, which I wasn't sure if we are going to get a whole drastic new take on Bane's origin, but... That's pretty much the same. They really didn't go into it too much, which I think is kind of good. The more his origin stays intact to what we already know, the better, because it's a great origin story. So, yeah, I have to say I was pretty disappointed with this one. And I have to say the ones I was looking forward to the most in villain months, like Bane, Scarecrow, Clayface, those are all the ones that let me down <laughs> where I was disappointed with. So, unfortunately, I'm going to agree with Terrence and just only give this one two out of five uh, Best Buy Arkham Origins merchandise standees that Rob gets to take home. This issue left me wanting more. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm going to be a Fairweather fan. I'm not changing. I I liked the the artwork is really what got me on this, and I was cool to see an actual artist that actually created the character actually redrawing it. And I will agree that the story kind of started off strong and kind of you know thinned out quite a bit, but I'm kind of hoping it's like I said, it'll have it'll have a bigger payout in the Arkham War. So, but yeah, I, I will I will acknowledge that the story was kind of really thin, but you know, I I enjoyed it visually. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's two quick things I wanted to mention on this before we move. One is on on the first page. I think it's kind of cool in the in the prison. If you look on the walls, uh, one of the names scratched on it is Dixon, I guess for Chuck Dixon, (laughs) who created Bane. I thought that was kind of cool. But also, it starts out, the first um, bubbles of Bane's, I don't know if these are his words, he's speaking or his thoughts. It says, long ago, these hands took down the one man who had never before fallen. I took this man's city, and I took this man's hope. But, But he rose again like a devil, and his city was stolen from me, which to me... That sounds just like Nightfall. Like I thought that was referencing mm-hmm. Nightfall, yeah. which I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. Does that mean Nightfall is in you know continuity in the new 52? But then they never go back to it, and then it's so vague. You know, is it Batman? This man, you don't know. This city. So, and it's kind of like, I just feel like DC wants to have its cake and eat its too. Eat it too. Like if you go all the way to the end of the issue, there's an advertisement for Damien son of Batman, and it's like, well, what is he? Is he dead, or is he in the issue? Or is it's, you know, it's like, yeah, we want to have him dead, and we want the, the story of him dead, but we want him around, too, so we can sell action figures and have comic books with him. So he's both, and it's just kind of, it just kind of gets it a little annoying in what DC does. I feel it's, it's a little insulting to the fans. 
Yeah, for now, anyway, Night Falls in continuity, but <laughs> I could change yeah. it in one issue. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, that takes us over to Justice League Secret Society issue, which, for me, anyway, caught me by surprise of how much I enjoyed it. But um let you go ahead and take it first, Rob, because you're the one who kind of <laughs> made me, to, or when you said how good it was, got me to get it, because this one wasn't on my radar at first. Uh, this one wasn't on my radar either. Um and kind of like what you said, some of the books that I was really wanting to be good weren't, and the books that I actually went back to the store and picked up, or somebody said, hey, you better grab that, um, were actually some of the standout books, and this is one of them. Um, I actually saw somebody review this on a Facebook page under a Robin uh, Robin number one fan uh, page that I subscribe to, and they said, uh, Tim Drake, question mark, Dick Grayson, question mark, exclamation point. That's all you need to know if you're a Robin fan. Go pick this up. I'm like, well, i got to go get it now. Um, and uh, this one is what I would call Forever Evil, you know, 1.1. It's, or zero. <laughs> yeah, or, or zero, yeah. It would be better. that This is what is happening right before their taken into the boom tube, and it's basically, um, th- I think this actually probably should have been in the Batman book, um, been in any of the Batman stories rather than the Justice League book, because it basically takes place with Owlman and Alfred uh, running in running through Earth-3, and there's talk of, um, I can't remember what they call Alfred in Forever Evil, uh, the... The, the gentleman, outsider. the outsider, yeah. I know people were kind of wondering, is he the Joker, kind of the way that he was drawn, but it's definitely Alfred. And what I'm picking up on it, that it was Alfred or Owlman that uh, killed Dick's parents in Earth-3. Because there's a, Owlman says, you know, to Alfred, you know, why did you have to tell him? You know, he should have found out this later. And Alfred is saying, well, he really kind of needed to know. And um, seeing that the police is totally corrupted and just this whole world is on a giant lockdown. And it almost kind of seemed like it was going to be the Waynes getting murdered where this group was uh, this family was out going to a movie theater, and they shouldn't have been in the section of city that they should have been. So at first I thought, oh, is this kind of the origin of Owlman? It turns out it's just this random family that uh, uh, shouldn't. the curfew was set. They shouldn't have been out there. And um, we're getting uh, a look at the Joker of Earth-3 and the confrontation that they're having, and we're finding out that the Dick Grayson character is actually named Talon. So, which I thought that was uh, a little tip to the hat to the Court of the Owls that Dick uh, was going to be recruited by the Court of the Owls, and he could have become a Tal. He was going to be a Talon, so he is an Earth Three. So, there's a lot of uh, points that are getting pointed all over towards the Batman universe, and things are twisted on their side. And I, this was just really, really enjoyable. Um, we get some interaction between uh, Superwoman and Batman, and uh, which or Batman, <laughs> Owlman. Uh, this this just seems like it's it's a Batman book um, through and through. I was really, really impressed with it. 
and uh, the, the big thing for me is seeing uh, Owlman dropping the Joker through the helicopter blades, <laughs> which is really kind of gruesome. And uh, uh, did I say Batman again? <laughs> Hopefully, I did it. He said Owlman that time. Okay. So I, I just again I, I'm just kind of oozing all over this issue, and uh, then I end up kind of moving uh, forward into the uh, present uh, with them going through the boom tube and uh, finding out about the Justice League and saying that they're calling themselves superheroes and Alfred saying, well, I guess we should call ourselves supervillains and this, what I guess would be the first appearance of the coin that they're passing around if you're following continuity. And the last shot of the book is uh, Nightwing Dick Grayson, is tied up in the same chair if you read the Justice League of America that was doing the uh, Trinity War was the same chair that they killed Catwoman in. So um, I thought this was very, very good. Um, Out of all the villain months, I enjoyed this one so much. I'm going to give this five out of five um, cardboard Batman Arkham Origin standees that I got and successfully got in my car before it got ruined by rain. Yeah, and that uh, scene you just mentioned where he says, like, I guess they'll call us supervillains. I think that was in Justice League of America number one, but you didn't yes. know at the time, yeah, who that who that was or anything. So that was a cool payoff. Um, the thing I like about this, Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates wrote this, but the, Jeff Johns, his writing talent is amazing, but he's just got such a great feel for dialogue and that internal monologue. And, I mean, I could have read, this could have been 100 pages, and I could have kept reading it. Um, just that the internal dialogue is pretty amazing. And it, it brings up some questions about Alfred, like, just, you know, how much does Alfred just is the loyal servant of the Waynes? And if Bruce had decided, you know, to be a villain instead of a hero, would he have just followed lockstep? Or is he, you know, you always think he's following him because Bruce's cause is so noble. Um, so you just kind of wonder about that. And here, you know, I know it's a different world and it's Thomas and all that. Um, but before this, did we know that Alman was Thomas Wayne? Yeah, I think he's always, that's always been his secret identity from being Okay, because I didn't, I didn't know that. So that was a cool reveal for me in this issue. Um, and the artwork is fantastic. Uh, it's just got that dark and uh, lots of shadowy feel lots of rain um and it kind of reminded me that um the the dc animated movie i think crisis on two earths or something like that yeah where it starts off and the joker's a good guy and it just that just throws you it just kind of Mm -hmm. like what is going on it it just and i had that same kind of sense in, in this one here um and having talon's body in um and a presence like that was so cool. Like, and you never see it. Like, it, you, they didn't have to show you some gory picture or draw it or anything. And just your imagination of what it was like is really good. And I love how the moment Alman shows weakness, the cops turn on him um, and try to take him out. It just kind of shows the whole world. So, um, yeah, when I got to the end of this, it was like, all right, I just can't wait to read Forever Evil number two, which um, I felt didn't really take off on this issue as much, but maybe the rest of the series will. So, yeah, I'm with you, Rob. I, I would give this a five out of five. for the As far as a villain month tie and judging it against the other villain months, um, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's got Amazo and Copperhead and Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman on the cover who aren't in it at all, um, <laughs> It does have a helicopter, and there were helicopters. So, uh, yeah, I would give this five out of five Best Buy standees Rob has taken home. 
Yeah, I agree with you guys. This is a solid issue. Probably didn't love it as much as you did, but you guys hit on all the points that why it was so cool. But the thing for me was just kind of getting a look inside Owlman's head to kind of get his motivation for wanting to go to Earth Prime, and it's all around uh, Dick Grayson because he failed to save him in his Earth on Earth 3 from the Joker, and now he thinks he can save the Dick Grayson from Earth Prime. I don't know if they're even calling it Earth Prime, but that's usually what it's referred to, so I'm going to call yeah. it that. But, but then Alfred's kind of questioning him that, like, this isn't the same... Dick Grayson, like, he shouldn't be saved. I should have killed, he says to himself, I should have killed him when I had the chance, but now Owlman wants to save him, but I'll have to convince him to kill him anyway. So I kind of like how this Owlman's whole motivation for this is to save our, our Earth Prime's Dick Grayson. So, like you said, Terrence, I'm really anxious to see where that goes with for, Forever Evil. I mean, it already had big ramifications in part one where his identity got revealed. So definitely looking forward to that. And just all the stuff you guys mentioned, the great moments with him and the Joker, finding out that Jason's body is in these separate present boxes and it's all laid out as a body <laughs> was something that you'd expect the Joker to do. So that was a nice touch, a nice but creepy touch. And like you said, Terrence, it, it had, when I was reading it, I was thinking about the Justice League crisis on Earth 2. And James Wood did such a great performance as Owlman in that movie that I heard his voice the whole time as I'm reading this. It's so one of those I. things where, yeah, he's like the voice of Owlman for me now. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, as soon as I read this, after I read it, I actually watched that movie. I was just—I had that voice in my head. I'm like, I want to watch. I want to watch the movie. I'm like, yeah, I, I did. I did hear that voice correctly. So <laughs> it's funny that you uh, mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it since, but I got the same feeling. Like, I kind of want to watch that now. <laughs> after reading this and some forever evil stuff. Uh, there was a slight, I'm assuming it's a Tim Drake reference when the uh, cops are chasing Batman. Or, geez, I keep doing it. Owlman <laughs> through the streets. Uh, a mother, I, I'm assuming, or a parent says, Tim, get away from the window. Mm. Um, so I think that was supposed to be that we get the Jason Todd nod, so then we get uh, the, uh, what I'm assuming would be the Tim. I mean, don't, don't know what other Tim, unless they were referring to you, Tim. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Was, it had to be me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they knew I was going to read this issue. So, yeah, I don't think I'll give it a five, but it was definitely a solid issue and one of the better villain month tie-ins out of the whole month. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five uh, Best Buy Arkham Origin standees that Rob gets to take home from the store because nobody else wants it. All right, so that's it for the week of September 25th. But before we move on, I just kind of want to get you guys' quick uh, opinions on Villain Month as a whole. What did you think of it, if it was a success to you or a disappointment? I'll start with you, Rob. Um, initially, I thought it was going to be uh, – I'll say I'm satisfied – um, initially, I thought I'm only going to get a few books, and I counted up. I have, I bought 22 of the 52 books, and um, there were a couple books I wish I would have picked up, and there are a handful of books I'm sad that I picked up. But um, I'm still glad that I, I have them at the same point. The the 3D covers or the lithograph or whatever they were calling them officially, I think they look. Uh, really good. I was afraid they were going to come off looking really cheesy and not do what they were supposed to. But we mentioned the Killer Croc one just looks that one I feel really moves really well. You can turn the book a lot of different directions. You can really see the water and the bones and things move. So um, I think overall they did, I think they did what they set out to. And I, you know, I bought uh, the two Teen Titans book with Trigon and Deathstroke and I have the Arrow book uh, the two Aquaman books. So there was uh, some other issues that I thought were better than some of the 
the Batman books that I did pick up. So uh, overall, I'm really satisfied, and uh, it kind of gets me wondering to go, oh, I would have liked to have seen like a, a 3D cover of, you know, some of the heroes and, you know, think, you know, what, what would a Batman cover have been like? But, you know, I don't know, imagine what kind of story they would tell that they already already wouldn't be telling. And I'm um, kind of curious uh, for the, uh, what is it called, Necessary Evil uh, when that comes out um, on October 25th, uh, the same day as uh, Arkham Origins. So I'm I'm pleased with uh, the books that I have, and uh, I think there will be uh, some books in here that I'll pick back up from time to time. If nothing else, I think the covers um, are worth the pickup. How about you, Terrence? I know you just got the bulk of the issues for building ones, but <laughs> did you have a feel kind of for the ones that you read so far? Yeah, I still, I still have a lot to read, but... Um Overall, I think it was pretty successful. I, I would have liked it if there was a little more consistency, whether they were all origin stories or they all tied into the uh, Forever Evil as to what was going on without the heroes around. Um, but, um, you know, overall, I think it was a good way to inject some life into DC Comics without having to reboot everything. Or, and it was a good way to um, kind of spotlight the villains. Uh, and I think it might have gotten some people reading and i don't know exactly what the sales are but the ones um website chromicon uh, c-o-m-i-c-h-r-o-n.com which i always check uh for comic sales and stuff their um their headline is villains propel september 2013 comic orders to record levels uh and so um the the dc had the the highest selling book forever evil number one and they had the highest dollar share they were at 40 percent of the market compared to marvel's 28 percent so to put dc on top for the month and and do you know 12 percent more than marvel for the month uh you know is definitely a success for dc and um you know overall i think it was probably a pretty good thing and uh, i think I, I can't think of a villain that they missed that i'm like oh man how come they didn't do him or her i think they pretty much hit the villains that i wanted to see and you know, I kind of liked how it was mainly a Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Justice League kind of thing, and and not every hero who has got a book had a villain. And I was buying a bunch of villains I'd never heard of or second-rate guys. I like how they 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 spotlighted the top villains regardless of you know the fact that it you know there might have been 15 Batmans, but he's got the best 15 villains, so they they did him. So um, yeah, overall success. Yeah, for me, I, I guess I'll say it was passable. I mean, there was some, definitely some good issues, but I just felt there was a little too many ones I was disappointed with overall. I didn't get every single Villains Month issue, but um, the ones I pretty much can just count on one hand, the ones I thought were really exceptional and stand out, those being Secret Society, Mr. Freeze, and then Lex Luthor, which I thought might have been the best out of all of them. I thought that was a perfect way to show how he's a great villain. That one, and then Dark Side, I thought was really cool, too. This was like an origin of Dark Side I'd never seen before. Other than that, like I said, a lot of disappointments with the ones that I really wanted to like. But then a few that were just good and kind of suspected surprises. So overall, I say it was passable. I mean, it obviously did its job with the numbers you were saying, Terrence, for DC. I'm sure they're going to look forward to every September because they have these events to celebrate like an anniversary for the new 52. I will say it was probably better than zero year. There was more enjoyable issues in this month than that one. So curious to see what they do next year and what event they'll have. But I guess overall it was passable. 
not oh. not good, but not bad either. Uh, one side note: while being at the convention, the week that the Penguin book came out, that came out, you know, Wednesday, and by Sunday, the last day of the convention, I was like, oh, I never picked up the Penguin book, and they had. Um, Almost all the books for that week there, and there was no price on anything. I'm like, oh, it must be three ninety nine. So I grab it, sit on the counter. Guy goes, that will be forty five dollars. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, these are hard to get. I'm like, it just came, it just came out. And uh, <laughs> guy behind me in line whispers in my ear. Inside the convention center, there's a comic book store in the bottom. He's like. Go down to the comic book store. They have it for three ninety nine there. That's what they're asking for it. So I put the book back on his little rack he had. I went, took the elevator downstairs, went to the comic book store, got it for three ninety nine, walked back up. Uh, some guy had it at the table. This is probably wrong of me to do, but I was like, dude, you can get it cheaper downstairs. <laughs> and the guy over the counter just looks at me, and I'm like, come on, man, forty five dollars. But you know, there's people making double, triple, quadruple the, you know, the value of the book, so somebody somewhere is making a good amount of profit off the book, so I thought I would throw that little tidbit out there. Wow, I feel sorry for the person who ended up buying that, then they go to a comic shop and see the regular three ninety nine price tag on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to hurt. But Villain Month is officially over now, and we're back to our normal comic book schedule, which I'm kind of glad it's back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, for the week of October 2nd, we got Detective Comics number 24, Forever Evil number 2, and then also I'm going to do a quick recap of uh, the Batman Beyond 2.0 uh, latest issues. So, hey, this was... Uh, oh, sorry, Tim, I to interrupt you. Um, I didn't read any of these books, and i got to get up early tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to, um, with my wife to Hallmark to get those ornaments. Uh, the Bat Pod comes out tomorrow, uh-huh. and uh, Heath Ledger Joker with actually has sound effects. It has him saying classic lines from the movie um and the bad pod's a limited quantity so you have to get there early to get it so um <laughs> i'm gonna uh head out now uh sorry to interrupt your your thing there um since i didn't read these and since i got to get up in a couple hours to to get the bad pod <laughs> but uh yeah in, enjoy the rest of the show and it was great talking to you guys all right cool Bye, go ahead. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye. so i guess we can go ahead and go into first detective comics number 24 and I don't know about you, Rob, but when I first got this issue, I go, I better go back to Detective Comics number 23 since it's been two months <laughs> just to get a refresh. I did the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah, the last, the first two issues of the story arc with the Wrath, I really enjoy it. I was hoping it'd get a pretty good conclusion. And for the most part, it did. I really like this issue. I think it's just nice, too, that we just got a nice short three-issue story arc that didn't drag on to what John Lehman did with Emperor Penguin. So this had a pretty satisfying conclusion, too. I remember saying before, too, that I wasn't convinced that Caldwell was the Raz, that they kept uh, referring to him that in early issues that kind of made it too obvious. But they just stuck with that, and he ended up being the Raz. They didn't hurt it at all. Sometimes it's kind of nice not to have a big twist, and it's just kind of what you expect. And we've got this cool sequence that we don't really see too much in Batman comics, but like a nice uh, aerial battle with Batman in the Batwing and then Rath's ship, which is kind of cool to see. They had a pretty cool dogfight over Gotham City, which some people may not like seeing how Batman's having a jet uh, dogfight battle in Gotham City. Might not, for those who like the realistic take on Batman, (laughs) it might not be something they would enjoy, but I find it to be pretty cool and entertaining how Batman was able to take down Rath's ship. And then also, too, the final sequence was pretty cool where... Uh, Batman lures Rath to uh, the Gotham Police headquarters, or the place where he's, his next target is going to be for the Gotham Police officers who he's expecting to go be in that building and kill. Because his whole motivation is this, that he feels his father was um, unjustly killed 
by police officers, which he was because they were crooked cops who didn't do any, who didn't do their jobs right and ended up killing him for no reason, just for, I think he was stealing a purse and they just ended up shooting him anyway. So he was had this whole uh, thing stuck in his head that all Gotham police officers are corrupt. And even though Gordon has weeded out all those crooked cops, he still feels that as long as there are police officers in Gotham, they're all dirty and he has to kill them all. So I did enjoy his motivation. And then the final fight with him and Batman was pretty cool. I love Batman's uh, suit that he was wearing to counter Rat's new suit. I just love seeing Batman whenever his whole face is covered in his mask. It just looks really cool. And then they have a pretty cool fight where uh, Batman's able to slow him down and take him out. But he wanted this to be the Gotham Police Department's victory. So he lures him outside, and he lets Gordon and the police officer do a final blow to him, which is, he was able, like, a big blast from the tank that shot right into Raz, but his suit was able to withstand it, so he was alive, and then Batman just knocks him out with one last punch, saying that he's going to get justice, like, unlike his father, but he will get it by not being killed. And then there's a nice moment with one of the officers who never really liked Batman and who suspected him from the beginning to be one of the killers to kind of say, like, he was sorry and that it's pretty good to have him around because pretty much all the cops were incapacitated during this time, but Batman was able to save them all. So that was cool. But the only thing I didn't like was that at the very end, we see Gordon uh, in the jail cell talking to Caldwell. And then we see this dark figure in the cell across from him telling him or kind of asking, like, who he is and saying, like, what was Gordon talking to you about? But then we get the shot that it was Emperor Penguin again. Like, does he have to show up again already? We just got done with him. So that was, like, it was so good, but then it ended on that bad note. didn't hurt the issue, but it was something I wish it really didn't have. So it seems like he's going to be showing up again, unfortunately. But overall, I still thought it was a good conclusion to a story arc that I really enjoyed. So I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of five uh, Arkham Origin Best Buy stands that you get to take home all to yourself, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I, I thought this was really good, and I, too, had to go back and go, Wrath, man, it just seems like it's been ages with all the villain stuff going on. Yeah. So, you know, got the nice refresher and uh, forgot that you know, he kind of was tossing Alfred around there for a little bit. And uh, I know Dane will be happy that, you know, it was Caldwell, <clears throat> excuse me, through the whole thing, and which uh, that is nice that, like I said, it's a three-and-done, you know, story. And this was nice that this is the first uh, run of Detective Comics that I've been that I've bought every week since uh, issue five that I've really kind of enjoyed. And I'm kind of contemplating like, oh, am I going to continue to pick up Detective Comics? Because I'm already picking up so many. I'm trying to decide, you know, where I'm going to cut. So it may be kind of a an issue to issue type thing. I don't think I'm going to go totally full into the pull list, but I'm I really enjoyed the story. And uh, remember, I remember when Codwell was going around, you know, funding all the police departments and giving them all this gear and armor. And I remember thinking, I wonder if that's going to turn on to bite them, you know, <laughs> later. And, and in fact, it does. That's how they're getting shocked with their new, you know, vests and everything. And so that, that only basically leaves like Bullock and uh, Commissioner Gordon that weren't yeah. wearing these, you know, electric vests. And um, I just thought it was really cool. And I thought, funny part where either in uh, Codwell's hangar and Alfred says well I guess we can go to the Wrath computer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny you know even even after Alfred gets tossed around he's still able to kind of make a, <laughs> a little bit of a joke there so yeah I, I thought this was done very well and um, 
again to that last panel, like you said, I was like, oh, Emperor Penguin, you know, it must be a mandate that there has to be a penguin of some type going through yeah. all the, <laughs> but it has to be a penguin present somewhere in a bat book. And, uh, that, that's the one thing I, I see Detective Comics doing. They'll, they'll keep a, a thread going constantly through all of the, Books, even if it's even if it's just minor, to let you know that hey, we've got another story we're working on, or hey, remember that story we did two months ago? Well, that person is still around. So, um, I, I will score it just the same as you. Uh, four out of five uh, cardboard standees that I got from Best Buy today. All right, so that's going to take us into Forever Evil number two. Now, before I get into it, did you you notice that the quality of the covers, like the papers are using, is a lot better? It's like a glossy. Yeah, I I thought that was just me. Uh, I didn't pick up uh, Batman Superman 3 uh, when it first came out. My comic book store didn't get it. So um, I noticed, I thought it was only just the Batman Superman book that they were trying to make it more special. But I know that Forever Evil was printed on the same book, same type of paper, and now Detective Comics. So uh, that that's kind of nice that they're they're up in the paper quality a little bit. You know, it's it. It feels like it should be something special, so I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> yeah, as long as they don't jump up the price at all for this new glossy paper for the covers, but it <laughs> definitely is nice because you just expect it for like the big event issues. But no, with like all the issues for this month, that is. So we'll see how long. If it's just going to be one month, and then next month they'll just go back to the plain old paper. Yeah, or if they're going to keep doing this. But it was like I said, it was nice to have a, all the issues be like that. But Forever Evil number two, I have to say, I was. Slightly disappointed with this one. To me, I just there wasn't really that much that happened with it, except for the very end that got me excited about where the story is going. I mean, it starts off pretty cool. I like how Lex Luthor is taking it upon himself. Uh, he's the only savior for the world now that the Justice League of Superman's gone, and he's always wanted that chance to prove himself that he's the world's greatest hero and savior. This is his chance, and he's doing that. So he's he's going off to find. But it turns out being Bizarro, which I didn't read that Villains Month issue, so I'm curious to see how much it tied into it. But it seems like this is the first time we're seeing Bizarro in the New 52, because Lex Luthor is just activating him in this issue. And we get a nice uh, cameo, or the New 52 version of Otis, his assistant <laughs> from the movies, it turns out just to be a dispensable security guard. <laughs> it turns out <laughs> at the end. But yeah, there's just a lot of dialogue, mostly about the issue between the crime syndicate, kind of all telling them what they should be doing in this world. You got Owlman kind of wanted to, what we talked about in the Secret Society issue, wanted to try to save this version of Dick Grayson, but then uh, he's having an affair with a superwoman that Ultraman doesn't know about, how she might be pregnant. And then uh, the Flash, uh, Johnny Quick, that's his name, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how he just kind of wants to have fun in this world and just cause as much chaos as he can. Then I don't know what's up with Green Lantern or Power Ring. He's like, the ring is causing him some health issues. Looks like it's just draining the life out of him. And he's asking mm-hmm. uh, the version of Firestorm, like, how long can I have? <laughs> do I have to have this ring on? He's all oh, just about one more week. So there's obviously something going on with the power ring. But yeah, just a lot of heavy dialogue and just kind of showing what each member of the crime syndicate, what their goal is as this invasion is going on. Then we get this brief action sequence with uh, Johnny Quick and Atomica taking on the Teen Times as. Tim Drake has kind of rallied them up to go take this crime syndicate on since the Justice League is gone, so they have to be the ones to step up and take care of them. But, I don't know, the battle sequence didn't really get too much of a reaction for me. There was, 
like had some cool moments of Johnny Quick sending Kid Flash uh, back to the future. It looked like through what looks like a big uh, tornado he creates, and he says says somewhere he was able to send back uh, Kid Flash there because like he tugged on he's tugged on time travel and time to the future tugged back and it pulled him away. So that's how he kind of took out Kid Flash and then the rest of the Teen Titans. But then the big reveal is at the end is where it's kind of leaves you on a good cliffhanger to want to know what happens in Forever Evil number three, where first off you get Luthor and Bizarro suiting up into their classic uh, outfits with Bizarro putting on Superman's costume and Luthor's are, you know you have it on backwards. <laughs> then Luthor's in his classic green power suit. But then we get the reveal that uh, Cyborg's father and his lab assistants are in a lab, and then it looks like someone's trying to bust in and take them out. And it ends up being Batman and Catwoman carrying like a, just a broken, beat-up, half part of a cyborg's body and Batman's like they're all shocked Batman you're alive where's the rest of the league and it just ends with saying they didn't make it so it's cool to know that one of the Justice League members the greatest one Batman is <laughs> now going to be in Forever Evil we'll hopefully get to insight as to what happens to them so um, for me that was the highlight of the issue just the end and a lot of it was just a lot of heavy dialogue and just I guess pointing out the drama that the crime syndicate has with each other and we'll see how well, it's probably going to cause their downfall later on so Overall, it was just okay. I'm probably just going to give it two and a half out of five uh, Arkham Origin Best Buy standees that you got to take home, hoping it picks up in the next issue, because I really thought the first one was good, and it kind of took a step back in this one. Yeah, I, I was afraid that's what was going to happen, um, seeing like the preview images where we got the one of Nightwing uh, with what looks like the red is, you know, dripping blood, and we get like the animated series logo, which I now think that is the Talon logo that... Uh, that Nightwing or that Dick Grayson character would war would wear. So I wonder how that's going to play into effect. So seeing that there's a Teen Titans where you have Ultraman and uh, Superwoman standing on the Teen Titans logo and it's cracked, I was really uh, knowing that Jeff Johns was writing it, going, "Okay, he's writing Teen Titans again. He'll have the voice for the Titans." And it he did have all you know. It felt like the Teen Titans that ah, oh, this is the Teen Titans that I'm used to reading, but. It seemed really short, and I was expecting there to be this... I was expecting this whole issue to be a knockdown, drag-out fight with the Teen Titans and the crime syndicate, and that really wasn't the case at all. It was pretty much over and done. And that's a problem that I have with solicitations, that they end up spoiling things. Hey, we're going to show you what's going to happen three months from now. So me being on Teen Titans, knowing that they're going into the future... I figured, well, somehow they're not going to kill the Teen Titans. The Teen Titans are going to end up in the future so a Kid Flash can pay for his crimes or whatever he did. So I figured that somehow that they were going to get banished somewhere. So, um, like you said, it was, again, another one of those issues where it's a lot of setup. I would have really liked to see uh, Jeff Johns really do more with the Teen Titans. And I thought it was kind of interesting that... Uh, Everybody's referring to Red Robin as just Robin. Yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> like, does something happen that I miss in Teen Titans? No, um, they refer to him as Red Robin in there, or they'll call him Red, or they'll call him RR. Um, but it's if they mention Robin, it's usually followed by Red Robin. So I don't know if if it's one of those that Tim doesn't have to distinguish that he's Red Robin now that Damien's gone. There isn't a Robin, or if Jeff Johns just prefers to call him Robin. So um, I thought it was kind of interesting. I could see maybe another writer going, 
oh, I, I didn't know we were supposed to call him Red Robin. I mean, Jeff Johns has his hands in the DC universe yeah. and knows very well that this is Red Robin. So uh, it was nice to see Tim Drake getting called as Robin again. And uh, the comment that Tim makes is that, you know, if the crime syndicate knows that Dick Grayson is, or Nightwing is Dick Grayson, that's getting out throughout the whole world, it's not going to be too much longer before somebody puts it together who the rest of us are. And in the Teen Titans book, uh, Tim has not told anybody other than Kid Flash that he is Tim Drake. So when they're all in their alter egos, they still refer to Tim as Red Robin. So I'm wondering, you know, if Tim's identity is going to get out to at some point. So I'll, I'll agree with you. I was a little let down after how good the first issue was, but knowing this is going to be a seven-issue arc, there's going to be peaks and valleys in the uh, issues, but it, it was an okay issue. Um, I think I'll grade it just a little bit higher with you, and I'm going to give it uh, just an even number. I'll give it three out of five cardboard standees that I got of Arkham Origins that I'm happily trying to find a home for in my house now. <laughs> I have a feeling the garage is going to be a good place. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's where my wife's going to put it. All right. Then the last, uh, I don't know if I can call it books <laughs> I could talk about, but I just want to do a quick recap on the latest issues of Batman Beyond 2.0. Uh, fell behind a little bit. I just caught up on the last two issues. The fourth one comes out tomorrow as we're recording this episode. But I just love what Kyle Higgins is doing in this new Batman Beyond setting. I mean, he's creating a mystery that after every uh, chapter, I just can't wait to see <laughs> what happens next. I mean, basically the whole point of the story is that the mayor was murdered in part one, and they're trying to figure out who's doing this. At the same time, too, there's a whole mystery of why Bruce isn't training and uh, working with Terry anymore. He's now under Dick, Dick Grayson's tutelage. So, then in chapter two, like, Bruce kind of makes an effort with Dick, like, to see if, do they need any help with this case at all? And Dick's like, uh, it's probably it took you this long to get in contact with me, but, like, no, we got it covered. Uh, we don't need your help. So as I'm reading that, I'm just wondering what happened in that year gap from when uh, the story takes place that has this that made Dick leave or made Terry leave Bruce and start training under Dick. So I just can't wait to get that reveal. But then in the last chapter, chapter three, um, the person behind the mayor's murder issues a a threat to Batman, saying to meet him somewhere or someone else is going to be killed. And so Terry meets him, and then as he meets him, I believe it was. Losing the docks or something, the typical meeting place <laughs> that you would meet a supervillain. But um, as he's, the voice is talking to him, it gets revealed that it's uh, Nightwing that we know from the new adventures of Batman the Animated Series, the redesign. And he's throwing some punches at Terry. And at first, I'm like, they kind of did this already back when the Batman Beyond title first relaunched in DC Comics in 2010 with the whole Nightwing and Dick Grayson clone. It was the hush. So I was kind of thinking, are they retreading that again? But then later on, we see Batgirl enter and how she looked in the animated series, and she's punching Terry. And then we see the Tim Drake Robin uh, getting some punches in there. It's like, oh, man, what's going on here? And then the person's still talking in the background. And then we get the reveal, the last page, is it's actually Batman from Batman the Animated Series talking to Terry. I was like, oh, man, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> like, are these robots or something strange is going on? Like, the four main... Uh, characters from Batman the Animated Series, the heroes are all here. It's, their leader looks to be a young Batman, so I just can't wait to figure out what this all about. I hope it's not the simple thing, oh, it's just robots, like someone's messing with Terry. So, 
definitely anxious to see where the story's going and just the whole mystery of what happened in that year gap that changed the status quo in Terry's life. So definitely enjoying what Kyle Higgins is doing. So, yeah, if I had to rate these two issues as a whole, I'd probably give it four and a half out of five Arkham Origin Best Buy standees that you get to take home because Kyle Higgins is doing a great job and picking up to where uh, the last few story arcs of the Batman Beyond comic has left off and just tied in greatly to the animated series. So, yeah, I can't wait for the next chapter. So, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. Um, I, you answered my question, but at what point did this change over to strictly an, an animated series? Because um, I think for a while, wasn't it treating it like this is current continuity? Batman Beyond, that there was some talk of Damien somewhere in there. When did it kind of switch and go, okay, this is strictly following the animated series formula, or has it always been that way? No, because when it first started with that whole uh, Hush storyline, there was definitely a conflict of what continuity it wanted to be a part of. So I would say when the whole New 52 started and then they relaunched Batman Beyond Unlimited, that's when it mainly just started referencing continuity from the animated series. Okay. And ever since then, it's just been continuing on with that, with really hardly having any like references at all to comic continuity. The thing I like best with Kyle Higgins' uh, writing is that he's just such a big fan of the animated series and Batman Beyond, just the whole DC animated universe as a whole. So he just sees like, the passion that he has for that whole universe and his writing for those stories. So he's definitely in, the, in good hands with Kyle Higgins, so he's doing a great job. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Uh, he, I think we've talked about a couple previous podcasts that uh, he was, you know, really vocal about Nightwing on his uh, Twitter accounts and saying, you know, he's got this coming up for Nightwing, and that's almost come to a screeching halt. And then all of his tweets now are focused on um, Batman Beyond, which, you know, rightfully so, he's got a good book going here. But that also makes me go. Wow, what what don't we know about Forever Evil that he's not saying? Hey, I've got this story coming up in Nightwing, so yeah, I'm really kind of curious that it's good that he has you know another book um, that he's currently writing as well. So it sounds like he's got a good one there. Yeah, definitely. I know you said you're not the biggest fan of Batman Beyond, but if you ever do get to watch the whole series and end up enjoying it as much as I do, you definitely got to <laughs> pick up again with this series. I've I've been slowly going through them. I, if I can't really call myself a, a Bat fan all the way until I, you know, uh, make it through yeah. a, a, good, a good amount rather than going, oh, I saw one episode, I hate it. So, not that I ever hate it, I just, it was uh, something that just, it, it never quite struck with me, but just, you know, hearing that the animated series characters are making... Uh, the original animated series characters made an appearance in this kind of makes me go, ooh, maybe I'll check it out on my phone. Yeah, let's just hope it has a good conclusion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright, so that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. We got all the comics covered and we're ready to wrap it up. So don't forget to check out our sponsor for this episode, Tweaked Audio, over at tweakedaudio.com. And don't forget to enter the promo code TBUSAVES and you'll receive 30, 33% off your entire order. So make sure you check that out also check out our host site, The Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse, and on Twitter, at thebatmanuniverse. And if you want, you can follow each of us on Twitter. I'm at TimG311, where I tweet a lot about Batman, Star Wars, baseball, and music. So <laughs> video games, that's about it. And also Terrence at IOD1974, and Rob's at DrummerRob10. And even though Dane doesn't get out, give out his Twitter handle normally, because he doesn't really tweet I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> At Dane Says Banana. 
So you can also find us on iTunes as well as all the other Batman Universe podcasts. And if uh, you check us out there, you can give us a review, which would be much appreciated. Uh, we're stuck at nine right now, so <laughs> like they mentioned on the last podcast, it'd be nice to have a nice round number at ten at the least. Yeah. So go ahead and leave us a review. That would be much appreciated. And any questions or comments you want to leave us, any feedback, go ahead and send an email to batfans27 at gmail.com or just leave a comment in the comments section, comment section on the episode link on the side of the Batman universe. And also you can check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash batfanspodcast. So with that, I think that's got everything covered, so we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Alright, episode 40 in the bag. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I didn't think villains was overly all too bad. Um, it's probably the most books I've ever bought in one single month. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's not going to be every month. It's <laughs> just this month. That <laughs> I do look at it. I feel like that's why like, they have to go back. I might be curious to want to check it out for a while. I'm scared. 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 I'm scared.